This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Huss and Reem with you for the next couple hours. Should be a fun show. We'll um, get ready for the week in the Canadian Football League and find out what is going on behind the scenes of the TSN broadcast during these epic rain and weather delays that Marshall Ferguson has been a part of. Ferg's going to join us coming up in the first segment. We'll also get his thoughts on the Alouettes and the Bombers heading into tomorrow night's tilt right here in the peg at IG Field. And then a little off-season puck talk with Murata Tesh of The Athletic, who will be joining us. And later on, I promised that with NFL season right around the corner, we'd start talking a little more NFL and a little more fantasy football and the unbridled, unmatched energy of my pal Andy McNamara will join us a little later on. We'll get his thoughts on his Browns going into the season and um, you know maybe a little insight for those of you that are going to be drafting in the next couple of weeks before NFL kickoff between the Lions and Chiefs September 7th, raising a banner at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, we will get to a big Jays win last night as well, right off the top and more. Just before we bring in Michael Remus and get things going, welcome to everyone that's watching on YouTube right now. If you haven't already, make sure you've hit that red button and subscribe to the YouTube channel and check us out on podcast wherever you find your favorite pods. Search Winnipeg Sports Talk and a special welcome to all the podcast listeners who are making WST a part of their day. Um, can't do it without the sponsors that power WST every day. Huge thanks to Cool Bet Canada, Princess Auto, as well as Canadian Club, Manitoba Battery, Aquatech, Modern Man Barbershop, Vita Health, Wallace and Wallace, F Apparel, Nick and Nicky DQ, Consolidated Supply, Boston Pizza and Royal Sports, Little Brown Jug, Aikens Lake, Breezy Bend, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes back in action tonight, and of course, Cinnaboy Downs with more live racing tonight to finish out the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday schedule. Michael Remus, what is up? Counting down here. We're getting ready for this bomber game tomorrow. Uh, depth chart coming out. No surprise that Zach Kaleros officially, uh, he's officially there as the starter. But uh, I'm feeling good, Huss. Uh, as you know, I celebrated on Twitter yesterday the four-year anniversary of the 80-yard classic between the Packers and the Raiders here. So it's put me, put me in a good mood. I don't know why that would put me in a good mood, but uh, you're asking me how I'm doing. I don't know. I'm feeling, feeling okay here. On a Wednesday, I know. Uh, I know. We touched on this last week, maybe when you brought it up, but there needs to be a thirty for thirty with full. Maybe that will be our WST opus. A uh, what do they call it? The uh, the uh, the oral history of the eighty yard classic between the Oakland Raiders and the Green Bay Packers in Winnipeg, Manitoba. There's so much stuff behind the scenes of both the disaster that it was as an event, the disaster that it was as an actual game on the field with it being shortened to 80 uh, yards. And then, you know, personnel things happening behind the scenes, more so with the Raiders and Antonio Brown and what he was up to in Winnipeg at that time. Um, 
Listen, we, we won't forget it for a long time. I will say this. It, it, it will not be remembered fondly as one of the greater events in Winnipeg, although a lot of people were damn excited when uh, that was planned out for them to come in uh, week three of the preseason four years I, ago. I remember when we were all excited that they were announced. We're like, oh, preseason week three? We might see some starters play, which uh, we didn't see any of. And what was it? You know, the field was fine leading up to the game. And then on the day of, the Packers took upset, took up exception to uh, the end zone where the goalposts were in. And, you know, they had to play on an 80-yard field. Um, it's interesting that the NFL hasn't come to Canada since that event. And I don't think it says any, you know, I don't think the lack of success has anything to do with the people of Winnipeg. Uh, you looked at the ticket prices right away, like for a preseason game. Why would I pay that when I can pay know that and go to like three or four bomber games and have more fun and see a better product um as far as you know those reading back on the columns like what mike mcintyre wrote after the game and what paul friesen wrote and this was the preseason nfl game that took place in winnipeg and paul friesen's wrote one of the more forgettable once in a lifetime events you'll ever see <laughs> and i thought it was is pretty tame compared to Mike's take, which was a complete and utter embarrassment, is what Mike said. And there was a lot of hype coming in. The promoter uh, saying they were going to have a festival atmosphere, which there was none of. There was supposed to be like the teams practicing here, which they did not do. Uh, we did see Winnipeg featured in Hard Knocks because the Raiders were part of Hard Knocks at the time. And what they wanted to have a creative festival, the promoter did, similar to the Jets whiteout parties, which didn't happen. Uh, but the capacity. To compare a Jets whiteout to a freaking NFL preseason game in week three is laughable on so many levels. Um, but listen, the NFL is so huge, and it was such a big, like just the fact that the NFL was going to come here of all the places they could have played the game, hmm. it seemed strange, but I think people were here for it. But yeah, the way that it turned out, I mean, literally everything that people were sold um, didn't didn't transpire. And then to top it all off, the uh, shortening the field, <laughs> shortening the field just before kickoff. Uh, I do remember like just walking through the game and seeing people, and I mean, everyone was just having beers and going, "This is such a joke." But we bought our tickets, so we we may as well hang out for it. And a lot of people left early. Um, but yes, to, I'm with Freezer. Definitely the most forgettable once-in-a-lifetime event we have uh, we have seen here. Um, we That's will a good get list. to some. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> top five most forgettable once-in-a-lifetime events. <laughs> well, this would be this would be right up at the uh, at the top of the list. We are going to get to some NFL talk though later on with Andy McNamara. But um, you know, right uh, right off the top, Remo, let's get to it. Um, as you mentioned. It is official. Zach is back. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are going to have their starting quarterback back behind center when the team hits the field tomorrow for a big game against the Montreal Alouettes. And we'll talk a little bit more with Marshall Ferguson about Montreal. He's seen quite a bit of them doing out, at, out, out east. And, of course, he did the game between the Bombers and Montreal earlier on this year when the Bombers were coming off that embarrassing loss at home to the British Columbia Lions. And that was a game which also did feature one of the Marshall specials, uh, an extended rain delay. But that was a game where, I mean, the offense didn't have to do much 
completely dominated on the defensive side of the football by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And we have seen that a number of times this year, just how important. I mean, it's easy to get sucked in in a world of fantasy football and stats and all that into what this Bomber offense is capable of, both with that incredible receiving core, what Brady Oliveira is doing with the back-to-back MOP. But the backbone often of this team is the Bomber defense, and we saw the way that group stepped up in the earlier game against Montreal this year, and they'll look to do the same thing tomorrow night and uh, try and get to 9-2, and two, have four or five days off, and then get ready for a big week of practice before the Labor Day Classic. Yeah, Montreal will have their quarterback uh, returning as well, Cody Fajardo behind center as Caleb Evans stepped in last week and led Montreal to a game-winning drive at the end over Ottawa. So good job, Caleb. Stepped in, led us to the win. Now take a seat for Cody, who I think he's been actually uh, solid uh, there for Montreal. And I agree with you, the Bombers' defense, you know, sometimes we get hyped up about you know, whatever ridiculous catch Kenny Lawler's making or uh, Brady Oliveira running over guys to ice a game, but... It was the defense um, that kept the team in it, um, you know, forcing Calgary, what, two for 17 on third down? Like, I, 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 sorry, second down? Like, will that ever, <laughs> has that ever been done? Like, it seems crazy. And um, I know John. I'm sure the Elks might have had a similar stat line at one of their shutout losses this year. That's but, true. But maybe not. <laughs> I mean, it's that rare. Yeah, and we talked about, how, you know, how good their running backs were in Kadeem Carey and Diedrich Mills. I mean, and 15 carries for 51 yards. And John Hodge mentioned Kyrie Wilson was huge with a number, you know, number of tackles last game. So, yeah, the Bombers defense getting it done. And, you know, who, uh, Dan back, he returned last week for Montreal. So they'll look to shut him down. Uh, I'm intrigued to see this game tomorrow night, expecting a good crowd. I haven't looked at the weather. Speaking of, you know, we joke with Marshall who's seemingly called like every game on TSN that this year that's had a weather delay except for Thursday, but he was, they did show him on TV, but just looking at the Skywatch weather, um, <laughs> the rain's tonight, so I think we're okay tomorrow, mainly sunny. So that, that should be great for a night You're at IG Field. You're getting mainly sunny? I'm getting 60% chance of showers. That's tonight. No, Thursday, 24 August. Here's what uh, we have. Cloudy, becoming a mix of sun and cloud in the afternoon with 60% chance of showers later in the afternoon, risk of a thunderstorm in afternoon, fog patches dissipating in the morning, high 26. I see that today. Next 32. What site are you on? What's your go-to weather? I'm on theweathernetwork.com. This is on Environment Canada. Are you on weather.ca? Uh, weather.gc.ca, oh. well, if That's the government. I think which used to be weather office. Um, <laughs> well, here's... Yeah. Here's uh, the weather network. It's Winnipeg weather talk here. It says 27 here, mainly sunny. Mm. I'll have to pull up your site now. Well, we have a, we and, have a discrepancy. We have yeah. We have rival forecasts. Who who do you got? Weather network or yeah. Environment Canada? It was like that's the old. That's debate. the why not question of the day. <laughs> who do you trust for your weather? More Environment Canada or <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, you're you're right. You were I thought you were reading it wrong. Environment Canada has sixty percent chance of showers. Weather what Network has <laughs> has twenty percent. Oh, I thought you were just reading it wrong. <laughs> oh I can no! Usually read pretty well. There hasn't been anything that has we, impacted my reading abilities. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. This does remind me of the old debate: uh, Google Maps versus 
MapQuest from the early 2000s, or I guess Apple Maps now. So um, we'll have to see what happens. This is Winnipeg Weather Watch, but it's, I think it's going to be clear in the evening. Yeah, that's that's the hope anyways. And uh, I know we'll have another great crowd, another great atmosphere. Of course, party gets going in the uh, Princess Auto tailgate zone coming up 5.30 p.m., two hours before the uh, before the game. But uh, the Montreal Alouettes are, are good. Um, I know the Bombers handled them well in Montreal earlier this season, but this team's won four in a row. They've done it with both quarterbacks, Caleb Evans and Cody Fajardo, who looks to return tomorrow night. And as we've talked about for the last few weeks, Remo, it really does seem like there is a hierarchy of tiers in the Canadian Football League, Bombers, BC, Toronto, and then Montreal is right there, and I think kind of by himself. And I know we'll get into this with March a little later on, but it's hard at this point, just getting into the second half of the season, it is very hard to imagine an Eastern final that is not Montreal and Toronto and a Western final that's not Winnipeg and BC. Yeah, it's funny. I'm trying to pull up the CFL stats on the TSN website. I was just about to talk about how good Austin Mack has been replacing uh, Gino Lewis, but look at this. There's no, there's no tab on their broadcast rates holder. Where's CFL in here? NHL, NFL, I, MLB, I, golf, NBA, FIFA, Women's World Cup, auto racing, tennis, UFC, soccer, NCAA curling, more sports. There's not even that's CFL. Very, that's that's very strange because when I just click on TSN on my oh, it's at browser, the top. It's right. It's the first thing okay. right beside. Okay, TSN. there it is. It's the first thing there. Okay, weird. Something's wrong. Sorry, sorry to get sidetracked, but Montreal. I agree with you. Montreal, Toronto seem like the teams. They've been pretty solid. Uh, you know, I thought Gino Lewis would be a big loss for them, but you know they've really retooled. And this Austin Mack, he's been, I think, one of the top receivers. Uh, in the league, Huss, uh, you know, running, you know, he is leading the league in yards uh, with 773. Um, and as far as, you know, running the ball, standing back when healthy, I mean, their offense is good. And remember, one thing that stands out to me, remember the defense last year in that game that they lost just how much under pressure uh, Zach Claris was, and they're going to try to keep him clean uh, for his return tomorrow night. Um, one other bit of news from the Canadian Football League that's just come out. Uh, at the halfway point of the season, attendance up in three major markets that have been somewhat problematic for the league over the last five to ten years. CFL announced today the average game day revenue in Toronto, BC, and Montreal is up 26% compared to the same time last season. Across the league, game day revenues are up 2.3%. You'd have to think that it's taken a massive, massive hit in Edmonton, and that in particular has really hammered that number, which should be a lot higher. Um, and I'll tell you what, the TV ratings have been awesome. More younger fans tuning into CFL games. League stating viewership ratings in the 25 to 54 age demographic have increased by 29%. And over 8.8 million spectators have watched the league broadcast on TSN and another 1.9 mil doing it on RDS. And fan engagement on social channels is up 30%, while page views on the website have increased by 11%. So I know we spend a lot of time, all we, people that love this league, often always concerned about it, the present, the future going forward. 
and it's quite easy to look at some of the problem areas in the uh, in the CFL. But that news about Toronto in particular, Montreal, certainly what Doman's done in BC, I think has really been admirable, and they've got a lot of momentum. But there is some positive stories around this league, despite some of the doom and gloom you often get from some corners of the media. I think we can all agree. Uh, we enjoy watching the product. Um, you know, having the games on every day I, seems to have helped with this new Sunday nighter. Um, you know, having BC be much better. I think this tendency is certainly up there. And, you know, you hear it from Marshall later, but cities like Winnipeg and Hamilton have tried to create a fan experience that's unlike, you know, other events. And you're going more, you know, the game sometimes is secondary when you're at a bomber game. People just want to go and hang out in the rum hut area or the end zone, you know, walk around, have a drink. Um, you know, especially like in the summer. There's sum- a percentage. There's a yeah. percentage of the fans that'll go there and they're just looking to party. And, ha- and listen, that's a lot of the young people that are just getting into it for the first time. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, regardless of what's happening around the stadium, in the rum hut, in that area outside, I mean, Winnipeg is fortunate to have some of the most diehard, dialed in yes. and locked in fans in the league. And um, listen, that's a big part of IG Field as well. But listen, they've got something for everything right now, and that's why you see the continued momentum and these big 30,000-plus crowds that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have earned from their fan base, not to mention a championship-caliber football team for the last five years. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll just re- say, you know, that people go and they have a good time, and maybe people who aren't, you know, super CFL fans will say, hey, I hear this is fun. Uh, I want to check. I want to check out what's going on here. Uh, with the Bombers, and yeah, I, I agree. I mean, huge, diehard, passionate football fans. And, you know, nice to see, you know, hearing these numbers from the CFL that uh, they are having a successful season. Yeah, uh, so listen, we're going to get into some CFL talk. We'll find out what happens behind the scenes when these uh, epic weather delays happen on TSN. We'll also talk a little bit about tomorrow's opponent, the Montreal Alouettes, and get Marshall's Ferguson's thoughts on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on top of the Canadian Football League and the Western Division right now. We will get into some off-season Jets talk with Murata Tesh after Marshall joins us and then a little preseason NFL chat with Andy McNamara to help us get ready for some fantasy football drafts in the upcoming NFL season. But Remo, and I think we're going to be doing a lot more of this over the course of the next six weeks or so is living and dying with every inning and every game of the Toronto Blue Jays season. And uh, Kikuchi was on the mound last night. I did think he got the hook a little early. But the bullpen came in, with the exception of Jimmy Garcia, who gave up that run in the fifth inning to tie it, held it down. Trevor Richards was awesome. Um, it was really an all-hands-on-deck performance by the Jays' bullpen. All, I think about five or six guys had a piece of it. And then a, a big, big top of the 10th for the Blue Jays. And they get the first game of this huge series against the Baltimore Orioles and hang in there right on the cusp of a wild card spot in an incredibly tight race, along with the Astros, along with the Marlins, or sorry, the Mariners, and the Tampa Bay Rays, who are the number one team. This is exactly, I think, what Major League Baseball was hoping when they went to this playoff format. A lot of teams in excitement every night, not just for the two or three teams that previously would have had a chance at a division title. It's absolutely crazy, um, this baseball right now. Every single night, you know, you can separate yourself, but Tampa winning yesterday, Seattle 
on an absolute tear. Uh, Houston winning. I mean, look at all these teams here. They're all on, on win streaks, and they're all, sorry, well, Houston, Seattle, Toronto, all within a game uh, of each other, one and a half games. Uh, so very tight, and even Houston and Seattle in the West, they're right there with Texas. So Texas is... Um, Texas is right there as well and for the wildcard mix if Houston and Seattle catch them. So uh, for Toronto yesterday, you get nervous when uh, Baltimore brings out their closer, Felix Bautista, who's, what, like 6'7", and throws over 100, but they're able to, you know, they're able to get through uh, the next inning. Uh, who was it? Meza, you know, pitched. He didn't allow any runs, and Jordan Romano locked down the save. 31 saves, Huss. He came in scoreless inning, no hits. Uh, two strikeouts, and it was Brandon Belt uh, with the big bomb there in the 10th inning. A nice pickup for him. They needed a left-handed bat. He certainly provided the power this year. A nice 845 OPS, only a .003 behind Bichette. So that shows you how good he's been this year. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned Belt. I mean, uh, I was out in Toronto uh, doing the Princess Auto curling event and doing the shows from there. It happened to be the first homestand of the season for the Blue Jays. And I got out to, I think, three games that week. And the one thing I remember Brandon Belt was he looked absolutely lost at the plate. I mean, wasn't even coming close to making contact. He was getting pinch hit for. He's completely turned it around. And, you know, listen, he's got a two fifty five average which is not great, but his OBP is 372. And to compare it, like Bo Bichette is, has a 319 batting average, which is awesome, but only a 350 on base percentage. So he's been taking walks, he's been finding a way to get in, and then when he makes contact, he has the ability to knock it out of the park. And that's exactly what he did last night. And, you know, the power, I don't think there's a 20-homer guy on the Jays right now, which is a little strange when you think of the makeup of this team but honestly right now the strength of the Blue Jays and why I think that you have to if you are a Blue Jays fan you got to feel pretty excited and optimistic about what's to come is their starting pitching has been absolutely lights out and you know with Bassett doing what he's done obviously Gosman's had an unbelievable season Kikuchi being the man over the last month or so and really solid most of the season and then the return of the big guy, Hyunjin Ryu. I mean, Schneider's got a lot of options right now, even with Manoa being in AAA. And then the bullpen right now is downright scary. And when you get to Jordan Romano, it's lights out. So, I mean, this team has been hurt by a couple things this year. Number one, they've been brutal in their own division. Um, their division record is just so ugly. I mean, if that was even 500, they're in first place right now. So you have to think that maybe turns around. I think the team's set up better than they've been at any point this year. Great start to this series against the Orioles. You got your ace, Gosman, on the hill tonight. Um, this could be a point of the year where the Jays, I think I'm hoping the Jays really get it together and you know have a lot of momentum heading into, A, first and foremost, locking down a playoff spot and uh then being a real tough out for whoever they face uh, come October. Yeah, they're starting pitching. I think one, two, three would be very strong uh, in a playoff series. And mentioned Brandon Belt. Uh, the power has really taken off here in the second half of the year. Just quickly, uh, what he played 61 games in the first half, only six homers. He's played 28 in the second half. He's got eight. He's got more in uh, less than half 
half the games and his OPS way up, all the numbers way up for him in the second half. And that was a big hit yesterday to go ahead of Baltimore, uh, who they're and they're at the top of uh, what they're at the top of the East and Tampa is chasing them. They got a two game win streak, so we're going to be checking these standings every day. We do have to mention the East. How about the New York Yankees? Has uh, historic <laughs> nine game losing streak and it was on this show yesterday where we looked at the numbers like oh yeah the net we were laughing at the Nats and we're saying hey they've actually been pretty good lately in New York on the losing streak and it did continue nine games that's the longest I think third longest losing streak in Yankees history uh first time since 1982 a nine game losing streak for them they suck uh <laughs> and I don't think anyone is uh, is crying any tears uh, about him. When you think, I don't know what the combined payrolls of the Yankees and the Mets were going into this mm-hmm. season, but it was astronomical. And the Mets, or a complete embarrassment, ended up having a fire sale at the deadline. And the Yankees now find themselves five games below 500. And uh, they've got Luis Severino on the hill tonight, who I believe is 2-8 and eight with a 798 ERA to avoid losing 10 in a row. Amazing Boone still has his job, but uh, that's uh, that's where they're at right now, heading into it tonight. Yeah, the, sorry, this is the fourth longest uh, losing streak in Yankees history. They haven't lost 10 in a row since 1913, which is <laughs> a long time ago. Hustler, that's 110, 110 years. And you do wonder if they would have front office changes. Brian Cashman, he's been there for a long, long time, and... Being a front office changes, we did see uh, the White Sox making some big changes, firing a uh, longtime GM, what, Kenny Williams, uh, yesterday. So uh, the Yankees, it's enjo- it is enjoyable seeing them uh, fall on their face. I know there's a lot of Yankee haters out there, and it is amazing how you can spend so much money on a team like the Mets and be terrible and get all these. And the Padres, too, um, you know, hasn't worked out for them. And uh, curious what happens with the Yankees. Yeah, and then you've got teams like the Rays. Um, and Baltimore, for that matter. But the thing is, with Baltimore, they had to bottom out and be like an all-time bad team for a few years to get all this young talent. that mm-hmm. is now bearing fruit for their uh, their squad tonight. Um, it's just after 6 p.m., Gosman on the hill for the Jays. We'll touch on that later on in the Cool Bet lines. But we're going to get to some CFL talk before Murata Tesh of The Athletic joins us to talk Jets in the offseason. Um, before we do that... Big shout to our friends at Modern Man Barbershop. Little helmet reduction for the kid last night. Uh, great experience as always. Modern Man conveniently located with eight locations around the city of Winnipeg. And uh, it was so easy. I actually just figured out, I, you know, I was doing it a little bit short on short notice. So I uh, did what I tell you all to do. I just simply went to modernmanbarber.com and booked my look. Ended up going over to the tuxedo spot, so shout out to the ladies there there, who took very good care of me. Eight locations in Winnipeg and a growing location list featuring haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Book your look via modernmanbarber.com and give them a follow on Instagram at modernmanbarbershops. And hey, still a little bit of time left in summer. Still time to make 2023 the year you take the plunge with Aquatech and design your own custom pool. Of course, it's not just pools, but home renovations start with Aquatech as well. With thousands of rentals as their foundation, let Aquatech upgrade any space in your home. 
Brought to you by Aquatech with limited install dates left. Visit Aquatech in store or online to learn how they can make your in ground or above ground pool dreams a reality. More information available right now at aqua tech.ca. Yeah, another big weekend coming up, and then the Labor Day weekend, which sort of wraps up summer. Still a lot of time to get outside and uh, make the most of the weather and the time we've got before the snow flies, folks. And to do that, you're going to want to make sure that you're covered with all your battery needs. And when it comes to batteries in this city and province, there's only one place to go. That's Manitoba Battery down on Logan Avenue. Why, you ask? Well, first off, you'll be shopping local. Second off, you will be getting guaranteed the best prices in town, beating the pants off the big box stores. And to make it even better, the most convenient purchasing experience around as Donnie and his gang will deliver the batteries to you anywhere in the city of Winnipeg for free with any purchase of 60 bucks or more. It's really that easy. Head on down to manitobabattery.com. Check out everything you need. You can order there. You can also give them a phone call and order directly over the phone. And if you want to pop in and see the magic happen in person, pop down to 1026 Logan Avenue. Say hi to Donnie and the gang and tell them the boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you. Uh, and hey, tomorrow, game day. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and their fans will be ready to go. And I have a feeling plenty of those fans might be enjoying a couple of Canadian Club and Ginger Ale pre-mixed cocktails from the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers Canadian Club. I know many of you are having a tough time getting your CC in your local liquor store, but you can grab CC and Ginger in cans, 473 milliliter, and in six packs at your local beer store or vendor. Um, and, of course, come tomorrow night. The Rum Hut will be rocking. CC will be available there, and you'll see CC and Gingers throughout the stadium. Try one today if you haven't had one before. All right, Marat coming up in a little bit. First off, though, let's welcome in TSN CFL broadcaster, former quarterback, and uh, weather jinx Marshall Ferguson to Winnipeg Sports Talk. Let's welcome in Marshall Ferguson aka the rainmaker what uh <laughs> how, how are you first of all it's great to have you back on winnipeg sports talk thank you for having me Hustler. i don't know if you can still see it when i first hopped on my shirt was a little bit more wet it's actually pouring rain in hamilton right now uh, <laughs> as as i sat down to have this conversation with you so uh yeah i don't know what it is man i uh it's been i want to say it's been following me around but i think if you're following any of the news you realize that the atmosphere is just holding more moisture and that there's more rainstorms in a lot of places unfortunately some places aren't getting any rain and are going through some fires that are ravaging different parts of the country and even in the United States. But yeah, everywhere I go, it seems to rain and I'm not even sure it's a me problem anymore. I feel like this is just kind of the way that the weather is trending, but whatever, I'm, I'm okay with it. Well, it's, uh, it's been, it's fascinating from a viewer's perspective, but I did before we kind of get into the upcoming week and everything happening in the CFL, people would be really interested to know like what's happening for you and what's happening behind the scenes when you guys get the word that the game <laughs> is delayed. This is uh, for the podcast listeners. Unfortunately, won't be able to see this. This was March's video last week <laughs> at Tim Hortons field in Hamilton during that near two hour delay. But uh, take us what's going on behind the scenes. When do you get noticed that, Oh, this might be, this might be paused. And then 
once the game is delayed from a television perspective, both for you as the broadcaster as well as behind the scenes, what's going on? Yeah, shout out to Reem, by the way, for pulling that up. And, and also a red flag on me uh, for realizing I think I'm wearing the same shirt for this interview that I was in that video. So apparently I own one T-shirt. Uh, that, so that's fantastic. But it's a good look. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, green, green's my color when it comes to T-shirts. So it's uh, But I, I will say that, uh, man, there's so many directions to go with this. It's a great question because, um, I, I mean, first of all, the way that it works in, in the booth is we're basically the same as everybody else. You know, we'll talk about it. We'll look at Doppler radars and we'll see Environment Canada, you know, updates and all the rest. And, you know, sometimes we know it's coming. And I, I think we need to do a better job of communicating that, not just to fans, but also to the viewers of, you know, I don't think we need to act dumb to the fact that like, oh, look, this storm came out of nowhere. Didn't see that. It's like, no, when we show up to the ballpark two, three hours before the game, immediately the conversation is always, hey, have you seen the radar? Have you seen the weather? Yeah, it looks like it might come in. Okay. Like, I think we should do a better job, honestly, on the CFL TSN of being able to preface people with like, there's storms in the area. You know, we might have a delay, but for right now, you know, this is a great game kind of thing. The way we get it is that basically the command center is in the ear of our producer and our director. And as soon as the command center gets word from whether it's football operations on site or otherwise, that there's going to be a delay, the producer goes, hey, guys, yep, the teams are going to get off the field. And then basically within five seconds, it gets communicated from command to producer to us. And about five seconds later, you'll hear an official blow the whistle or something will come onto the PA system and say, hey, you know, we need fans to please quietly and carefully get into the concourse area. There, you know, there's lightning in the area. Um, you know, throughout the day leading up to the game, I don't know if people really understand this process. There's, there's emails that get circulated from the CFL Football Operations Department in conjunction with Environment Canada. And that's not just lightning events. That is smoke in the area. That, that is air quality. That is... And literally anything that could affect the game or put people at risk um, is a constant communication on game day. And it's just a thread uh, of, of emails that are going from all people in all different departments to make sure, okay, is this good? What does it look like? I mean, even the Ottawa game in Saskatchewan that I called a couple of weeks ago on the Sunday night, which was an awesome back and forth game. And Brett Lather plays the hero in that one with a late field goal. Right before kickoff, we're talking to people that are in and around the area and it's like yeah the wind changed direction and the air quality is getting worse right now and we're like are we gonna play this thing they're like i don't know it's at like a seven they're like if it goes to an eight questionable if it goes to a nine we can't play and you know it's kind of like the elephant in the room where everybody's looking around they're like there's a lot of smoke like you know my lungs don't feel great this isn't great for the players this isn't great for the fans and it's like but we got to kick off and then the temperatures cooled down and the wind changed direction and everything was fine it was like it never even affected the game so um, the thing that I found really interesting about not, you know, my next, uh, my next job clearly is as a weatherman, cause I could talk about this stuff forever. But uh, the thing I found interesting about Thursday in the delay that we had most recently between Hamilton and Edmonton was that if it's pouring rain, that's not a problem, right? That's sort of like, that's football weather is you, you play in crazy torrential downpours, um, it was kind of extraordinary circumstances in Hamilton where all day long, it was like, this storm is going to hit. We know it's going to hit, but the rain is going to be the front end of it, and it's going to be hellacious. And as you can see from the video that you guys put up there, when the rain came, it was crazy. But the lightning didn't happen right away. The more interesting part of this to me is that as you have more weather events, especially in the summer months, we're going to have more of these delays. And I don't know whether that leads to a bumping up of kickoff times in order to make room 
for these games to be able to get played or how that's going to affect the actual scheduling of CFL games moving forward. What I do know is that an average quarter in the CFL takes somewhere between 35 and 45 minutes to be able to, to get it played. A CFL game, if it cannot be restarted after a three-hour delay, is official as wins and losses after the midway point of the third quarter. I don't know if a lot of people understand this. Like when you're sitting in the stands, the second that the game crosses the seven minutes and 30 second mark of the third quarter, that game is now official. Like if an asteroid hits the field, it, if it's beyond 730 in the third quarter, that's official. That's a win. That's a loss. You can move forward. Right at the start of halftime, I had somebody come up to me and say, hey, the game's going to be delayed here in Hamilton on Thursday night. And I'm looking up and I'm like, I can see stars. Like, it's clear skies, and they're like, yeah, yeah, but it's coming in, it's coming in. I'm like, okay, well, how soon? So I pull out my phone, you know, people watching the CFL TSN might have seen me, like, scrolling through my phone. I wasn't answering tweets and texts, I was literally looking at the weather <laughs> and, and, and trying to figure out, when is this coming, and why are we not playing right now? And I was in the tunnel talking to Trey Ford, and he's like, dude, we could have got this in. Like, we didn't need to wait for the rain to come, and then the lightning, and then have the delay, so we were all kind of like, if it takes 35 to 45 minutes to play a quarter, that means you need 20 to 25 minutes in order to get to that 730 mark, where then if it's a bad enough delay, you can say, okay, this one's over. Sorry, everybody. You didn't get as much football as you wanted. But honestly, who wanted to watch that game after the delay? It sucked. Well, I mean, I I talked about this, uh, whatever, the last couple of days. The respect I have for those Ticats fans yeah. that braved that near two-hour delay only to sit back and watch their team lose to an 0-9 Elks outfit. Um, borderline crazy, for sure. But, I mean, every team would, would love to have people with that much passion that oh, was yeah. behind their team. That being said, what's happening in Hamilton right now, Marsh, is all caps ugly um and what's the aftermath around that loss in particular in the market i think (laughs) it's funny you mentioned that that weather delayed game on the thursday night and people staying because um they've created such a social environment around tiger cats games that when lightning delays or weather delays happen in hamilton it's it's a great excuse for everybody to go up into the concourse where there's a DJ and there's the bar and there's the, you know, the bench brewing area. We got this, we got, they've done an amazing job of being able to create this kind of like entertainment village to the point where people are almost so distracted. It feels like in game, even if it's nice weather that you don't have the craziest, most locked in fan environment. Like I I honestly feel as though Ottawa and Montreal, I think in the East have the most dialed in living and dying with every single moment in the game. Toronto as well, but they just have less people that are in the stands typically than a lot of those other places. So uh, I I just, yeah, the aftermath of that, I think a lot of people on Thursday night were just like, wow, that was a weird one. We had a lot of fun. We listened to the DJ. We killed two hours because I can honestly tell you whether it was the caretakers club that you see the Tiger Cats walk out of with the smoke and, and, you know, through everybody through there with their player introductions or the opposite side of the stadium. Like, if you've ever been to Tim Hortons Field during a weather delay, that place is friggin' rowdy. It's crazy. And I'm not saying that, like, Winnipeg's not with the rum hut and everything else. Like, I know people like to have a good time during these delays. But it's almost like people got so distracted by just having a good time, which maybe is to the credit of the Tiger Cats and Tim Hortons Field staff. But it after the game, it was obviously like, what the hell was that? 
but in the moment, it felt like everybody was just kind of like, hey, I got to go out and have a big social Thursday night, and the weather just made it two hours worth of fun with my friends. It's uh, it, probably a good thing, uh, considering yeah. the way that one ended, um, certainly for fans of the Ticats. Um, listen, I want to ask you about Bombers Montreal coming up, but um, listen, uh, you know, Edmonton is Edmonton. I mean, they're, they've got one win on the season. We'll see whether they can finally break that ridiculous home losing streak coming up against Ottawa. Um, but, you know, this Hamilton team hosting the Grey Cup, you know, made some big moves in the offseason. Um, this has not gone the way anyone expected it. And uh, you've got to wonder about the future of Orlando Steinhauer, but also what the rest of the second half holds. I'm assuming Bo Levi is going to come back and it's been ugly with him behind center too, Marsh. Yeah, yeah and it's it's using because, uh, you know, you've got Tommy Condell, who I think a lot of people believe was going to be a very good match with Bo Levi certainly did going into the season and then the injury happens in his first you know game on the road at Toronto and then he comes back from that and there's the embarrassing situation that goes down in Ottawa it's it's honestly been a collection of just it's almost like if you're in the organization you know you you basically just laugh to prevent yourself from crying at this point in the quarterback situation Taylor Powell's done what he can on short notice given the circumstances after Matthew Schultz went down but like I don't think you've seen enough from Powell to want to keep him in that driver's seat moving forward like if Bo's healthy Bo's got to come back like Bo's got to try and salvage this thing for them because he still gives you I think the best chance to win regardless of what he's shown throughout the beginning of the season including the five interception game at Ottawa where he ends up getting injured at the end and then going back on the six game so uh yeah I think it's it's been a pretty painful one for a lot of reasons the defense isn't where I thought they would be a lot of the additions like Duke Williams is a hell of a player and he'll give you, you know, two or three basically in-breaking routes in the first quarter or two where you're like, wow, big body over the middle. They can really work that. And then it's like, yeah, but if you don't have Tim White going on the outside and you're missing a little bit of that Stephen Dunbar influence that you had last year and you're not getting a ton of production out of your Canadian receivers and now the quarterback play is a little bit hit and miss. And it's just it's it's not being pieced together in a way that's going to allow them, I think, to have sustainable success the remainder of the season. And I actually had somebody tap me on the shoulder at that game on Thursday night, and they said, do you think Hamilton is the worst team in the East right now? And I was like, I I would take Dustin Crumb's never-say-die mentality over what I've seen from Taylor Powell so far, and that Ottawa defense creates more turnovers than Hamilton. So if you're going to squeak a couple through and, and get that extra you know, couple of turnovers and couple of big shot plays, even with the legs, um, I think Crumb gives you the best ability to do that over what Powell has so far. And that makes me think that maybe Ottawa finishes third and Hamilton finishes dead last in the East Division, which I never would have guessed that going into the season. Well, the one thing I think that's clear right now is that there is a tier in the Canadian Football League that includes the Argos, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and the British Columbia Lions. And then there's another tier that I think only includes the Montreal Alouettes. And then the rest. I mean, I think they're clearly number four right now in this. And we're, of course, going to see them on, on Thursday. You have seen them quite a bit. You will be seeing them quite a bit doing so many games out in the East Marsh. Um, with or without Cody Fajardo, what stands out about this Alouettes team? How have they gotten to six wins in nine starts already? And uh, what sort of a challenge do you think they'll bring into IG Field for the Bombers Thursday night? So the big thing that jumps out to me is I did the Winnipeg game in Montreal on Canada Day this year. And uh, Montreal is a 
a very physical driven team. You would expect that from a Noel Thorpe and Jason Moss coach team. And I remember Moss saying coming out of training camp, if there's one thing we're going to do, it's we're going to be fast and physical, which every coach says every year, but they actually show it. Like they are actually on the point of attack, like whether it's linebackers filling in gaps or if it's offensive linemen pulling around and being able to dominate on a kickout block, whatever. But here's the thing. Winnipeg put them in their place. And I know that it was a, it was a weather delayed game and, you know, it was sloppy and it was Brady Oliveira time and Willie Jefferson had a great game, but Montreal is a team that has prided themselves on being the aggressor and being more physical than the other side. And in that game, Winnipeg said, oh, really? You think you're physical? Watch this. And just beat the absolute hell out of the Alouettes. So I expect this to be an extremely physical one because I think that's going to be the message from the Alouettes throughout the entire week is, hey, guys, like this is the way that we've had success this year. And Winnipeg handed us our lunch money and basically told us to get lost in that game. And doing that at home as well, I think, was a little bit demoralizing for the Alouettes. So... Um, I, I think what jumps out to me, you know, statistically, analytically a little bit is that Montreal's defense, uh, they play a real risky style and it's basically on second down, we're going to come after you and force you to beat us. Problem is Zach Laros is really good at beating you. Like Zach Laros is the one who will make you pay and Dalton shown down the field is the one who is going to catch the home run ball. And so uh, for Montreal to basically stay in this game, it's like you've got to stay latched on early and you also have to not give up the shot plays that Winnipeg got against BC at home in that message sending game. And then if you can survive the first quarter and be in it, you can establish a little bit of your ground game. You can get whether it's Cody or Caleb Evans going and, and have high completion percentage because they started the year pass efficiency far and away the best team in the CFL. And that was all Jason Moss and Anthony Calvillo cooking things up and just saying, how can we put our quarterback in the best situation possible? And they weren't even running the ball effectively at the start of the year, and they were getting wins. That was shocking to me, because I thought they were going to be a run-first team. But it was all passing efficiency. It was smart throws, and it was the emergence of Austin Mack as well. And I think that's the formula for Montreal to have success. But, I mean, we all know what Winnipeg's formula for success is, and it was significantly more effective in Montreal than Montreal's plan was. So, you know, this is the rematch. This is where we will see it, where it'll go. But uh, I do know that that's going to be a fun one because as you say, Montreal, I think they're right behind those top three teams. And, you know, I'm not a huge believer in Saskatchewan at this point or Calgary. I don't think Ottawa or Hamilton have a lot to believe in, in the big picture of being great cup contenders. So it feels as though this is kind of a four team race but the reality is there's going to be six teams that are going to make the playoffs and you still got to win your Eastern semi if you're the Alouettes hosting. So, I mean, I'm already looking way down the road, but I'm just looking big picture at the way this season is shaking out. And yeah, I, I don't disagree with your assessment. Well, I, listen, I can't say that I'm not expecting it to be Toronto, Montreal playing in that East final. And we're all waiting. It's almost like a title fight. We're waiting out West here for October 6th yeah. for the bombers in BC to go at yeah. it in the rubber match. Um, to basically find out where the West Finals going to be. Although, yeah. you know, the Bombers do have that one-game cushion right now. And if uh, the BC Lions were to falter, the Bombers were to get another one, then they'd have a bit of a cushion. But because they're one-and-one one right now, I mean, as long as they're one game on either side of those two teams, that game is going to be first place. And it should be really good. Marsha, I always like picking your brain on quarterback play. And I know you've been focused in on the East, but I know you're watching all of the games. What um what were your takeaways from what we saw from Drew Brown in the comeback 
against the Elks coming in down 22 nothing, And then as a starter, after a week with the ones, um, a more pedestrian performance, but still not turning the ball over and finding a way, not throwing any picks and finding a way to win. Yeah, that's more than you can say for a lot of the younger guys that have come in and played in spot duty this year. And Drew isn't, I mean, he's a younger guy, but his experience in the CFL, I think what, this is something I talk about with Dwayne Ford all the time off air, you know, when we're just in, you know, Ubers to and from the stadium or all the rest. It's like quarterback development, quarterback development. How do you find the next guys that are going to go ahead and make plays for you, be the face of your franchise and be the type of player like Zach Claros was where he's in Toronto, but everybody knows that guy has a future in the Canadian football, like whether it's in Hamilton, Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, whatever. And the thing that jumps out to me for Drew is that he doesn't make many bad decisions and his mechanics are super, super sound. Like I really like that. He doesn't have the biggest arm. He doesn't make the throws that are going to, you know, jaw dropping, but the Calgary Stampeders have lost two games this year where the only touchdown scored has been a pick six given up by Jake Mayer. And he's supposed to be the absolute face of the franchise. And that that's why I just feel as though Drew gives you a chance to win, especially surrounded by the great bomber system that he's working within. Uh, but I also think that there's a really high ceiling on him. Like, I don't even think that we realize yet how good he can potentially be. When you look at some of the other performances around the CFL, you know, I'd be really concerned if I was the BC Lions right now with Vernon Adams Jr. playing like that and you still lose. Like, I understand Saskatchewan is not an easy place to get a victory, but it's like if Drew Brown were to put up those numbers and lose, we'd be like, whoa, man, amazing game by him. VA does that and loses, and we're all like, oh, like, do they need something else? Like, what, what's the fix on that one kind of thing? So I think Drew is an extremely well-measured player. He doesn't make those mistakes. And he's, uh, I think his the, probably his best asset just from a straight quarterback position analysis would be his release. Like, I think his release is so snappy and so quick. It goes with the mechanics. Like, everything starts from your feet up. But he is so quick at getting the ball out. And as he gets more reps and more time in and around the CFL, like legitimate reps, one reps that you talk about with starters, um, I think he's going to be a target for people moving forward. And I don't know if he's going to necessarily be like the hot quarterback, but there's been a lot of guys that don't have his quality of skill set who have been sought after in free agency. And I'd be very surprised moving forward if you know Winnipeg doesn't have some serious competition to try and keep him in-house. Hey, you know, you mentioned BC for a minute, and listen, Vernon VA looked great. Yep. Um, but uh, they were the Donut Boys, remember? <laughs> Coming into Winnipeg, the Donut Boys with their shutouts against the Elks, and then it wasn't donuts on the menu; it was fifty Ooh. burgers. Did the Bombers break the Lions' defense? <laughs> because they haven't looked the same since that game, Marsh. No, and when I finished watching that first matchup, um. Uh, between BC and Winnipeg, I, I remember, and it's funny because you know this as well as anybody else, sort of like seeing week one football is just funny because you watch you watch back the results of week one, typically by week five or week 10 or week 15, and you just laugh because you're like, week one's weird as hell. That wasn't week one, but that felt like a week one game where the result was just like, What? And then I started thinking about it, and I looked at the schedule, as you mentioned, October 6th being the third game of the three, and I saw the way that the second game played out. And even before they played that second game, I remember saying to a bunch of people, because they're like, wow, BC, BC, huh? And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're really good. Like, they're a very, very good team. However, I feel like come the middle of November, the end of November, we are going to look back at that first game of BC and Winnipeg and be like, what an anomaly. 
Like, what a weird game that was to have that turn out the way it did. I don't think that was the real, true matchup of those two teams. I think what we saw in the second game was closer to reality. I think Zach Kolaros loves getting up for big games, and he's probably going to play a hell of a game if he's fully healthy against BC in that third game. And if they play in IG Field in the Western Final, I think Winnipeg comes out of that game, you know, and crazier things have happened. But I think Winnipeg comes out of that game going back to Hamilton to play in the Grey Cup, winning by 10 to 15 points. Like, I think it's a couple of key plays here or there. You get a special teams play. You end up getting a Dalton Schoen touchdown. And then it's Brady Oliveira time in the second half in the cold at IG Field. So I, I just look back at that as, you know, when that happens, if that happens in the Western Final, you'll throw on the tape of a hot, sweaty night at IG Field from way back when early in the season. And you'll just be like, how? How did that happen? But that's why the CFL, I think, is so great. You get to see these teams play each other so many times throughout the year. And you end up having these matchups that kind of crystallize as the year goes on to the point where you get to the playoffs and you say, well, in, in round one, it was this. In round two, it was that. In round three, it was this. Here we go. Round four, playoffs for a chance to go to the Grey Cup. And the more that I look at it, I'm just like, Winnipeg has the formula to beat BC. And the Lions are a really good team. That just tells you how good Winnipeg is and has been. Winnipeg is going to get everybody's best punch the entire year. They have for years now. At some point, that's going to break. At some point, somebody's going to overtake them. I'm just not sure it's this BC team unless EA just goes out of his mind and makes all the right decisions and has the most accurate game he's had, has the back-breaking deep shots to Dominique Rimes and Hatcher and Hollins. If he does that, then it could be a totally different story. But I just see Winnipeg controlling the remainder of this season in the West. Marsh, always great having you on the program, and uh, we managed to do it without any delays. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, when, uh, speaking of that, when do we see you back in the booth? Yeah, I'm coming up on uh, Friday night of this week. i got to wrap my mind around it. I haven't been in the booth for two weeks, and I got Labor Day weekend off. So I'm, uh, I got one game uh, before we hit September, and that's going to be Calgary at Toronto. So I'll get a chance to, uh, to fill myself in on everything Stampeders and Argos over the next couple of days and kind of feel out where Toronto's at as well in this, in this mess of the East Division because, as you say, Montreal's nipping at their heels. I think Toronto's the better team overall. They're in control, but they've shown a couple of little flaws here and there. And obviously, the Calgary-Toronto game was a super interesting one because <laughs> we didn't get a chance to be able to see Kelly go in that one uh, very much. So um, it'll be a fun, fun game to call. And then uh, if you're an Alouettes fan, you'll hate me by the end of September because I have all four of your games. So I apologize. <laughs> Marsh, you're the best, buddy. Have a great call on the weekend, a nice little trip, and uh, we'll look forward to doing this again real soon. Have a great one. Thanks, Hustle. You too. All right, good stuff with Marsh. CFL week kicks off tomorrow night right here in Winnipeg, 7.30 Bombers. Excuse me, Ann Alouettes. Murata Tesh of The Athletic coming up in just a moment. Uh, do want to thank our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market, who, of course, have... Great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, groceries, including those delicious grass-fed bison and beef steaks for your grill, and online delivery with or online ordering with citywide delivery over at myvita.ca. Um, if you have been active, and I hope you have been this summer, if your joints and muscles are sore, Try taking Health Curcumin Supreme Extra Strength. It helps ease pain and inflammation, and you only take it once a day. Just an example of one of the many products available 
at your local Vita Health Fresh Market family owned since 1936 in the peg, empowering people to lead healthy lives. Six Winnipeg locations and online at myvita.ca. Uh, our friends in Wallace and Wallace are the go-to people for your fencing and overhead door needs. Speaking of do it for a long time, they've been serving residential and commercial customers since 1946 here in Winnipeg as the leaders. If you need the security and protection of a new fence, Wallace are the experts with vinyl, ornamental, welded wire, chain link, or wood fences. And if it's time to replace your garage door, they've got Winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors as well. Simply give them a call at 452-2700. The Wallace and Wallace team will arrange a time to come out and give you a free estimate. You can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Crescent just off of Keniston. Fellas, how's your closet looking as we get into fall. If you need to upgrade your menswear, there's only one place to go. That's F Apparel at 190 Smith Street downtown. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. Having a wedding or in a wedding party? Talk to the guys down at F about a 15% discount for the entire wedding party when you get your suits through F Apparel. 190 Smith Street downtown. Make an appointment or check them out online at F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. And a big shout out to Nick and Nikki DQ. Not the nicest day of the summer, but it's always a great day to get down to Nick and Nikki for one of those delicious summer blizzard flavors, ice cream treats, maybe a peanut butter parfait, and don't sleep on those stack burgers either. Four locations, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, DQ St. Anne's, and the DQ in Niverville. And if you do need a DQ ice cream or blizzard cake for an upcoming event, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll custom make it however you want it for a quick and easy pickup at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. All right, let's welcome in Marat Atesh of The Athletic to the program. Marat, what's going on? Hey, Huss, how are things? Things are good. What jersey day today on WST? What are you rocking there? This is the uh, White Shell Wild. Um, <laughs> this would be the team I grew up on. We were the Wolverines for many years. And then in my Bantam year, we did some fundraising and we wanted our own jerseys. The Wild, I think, were probably relatively new in the NHL all those years ago. Um, and so I still hold on to a little piece of history here. Love it. Love it. Great look for, uh, you know, summer. We're waiting for hockey to get going. You know, it's funny. It won't be too long before players are back in town and players are skating together and then of course media availabilities and the beginning of training camp but just before we get to that something we were talking about before one thing that was a little different last year for the winnipeg jets not necessarily with the big club but as it pertains to prospects and players on contracts was the lack of a full-time echl team what are you hearing right now about how the organizational chart might look when it comes to the Manitoba Moose and a club for players from Manitoba if they're not on the roster to get playing time. Yeah, you know, I don't have this 100% locked down yet, so it's not breaking news so much as what I'm hearing is that Winnipeg and Manitoba are pretty keen to get themselves a full-time ECHL affiliate. Um, they did send a few players to the Newfoundland Growlers last year and the year before um, but that was a very good Growlers team who was actually affiliated with Toronto. So if you're going to the conference finals in the ECHL, you're going deep in the playoffs, and you got Toronto breathing down your neck, are you going to give 
prime minutes to you know Toronto um, Maple Leafs and Marley's prospects or, or Manitoba Moose and I think that Craig Heisinger who's GM of the Moose and the organization at large has been looking for a way to do a full-time ECHL affiliate and I think that that's going to come to fruition by the end of summer that it's going to get announced in the next week or so um, and that Winnipeg's going to have some more control over its prospects again which I think uh, we can get into this too. Like, it's going to be a, an important thing for them this year. Well, and, and you know, when I think of the East Coast League, the one area that it seems to be particularly important is goaltending prospects. And, you know, for the Jets right now, with DiVincentis and Thomas Millich, um, now DiVincentis will be back in the Ontario Hockey League, but I'm sure they'd love to have Millich play a ton. I'm not sure whether that is going to be with the Manitoba Moose. I mean, if he was able to take care, carry that load, he is a little older than, you know, most of the, the you know, the goaltenders as a, you know, a 20 year old last year would be great. But, um, you know, for a young man that has played so much over the last few years, I think you really want to continue that. And if it's not the right fit situation to do it in the American league, to have your own team where you can sort of call the shots and have a young man like that, get the, majority of playing time that's exactly the sort of situation you're talking about that wasn't there for Winnipeg last season exactly and goaltending is going to be so critical for this organization moving forward Thomas Millich is a great example there are players you know who have been important to Winnipeg and Manitoba in various degrees that have ECHL time that aren't goalies like you know Jansen Harkins went all the way down to the ECHL before coming back and scoring that big goal for Winnipeg against Calgary in the play-in series. There are significant skaters, too, in the NHL. But if you look at a who's who of ECHL alumni um, who've made it to the NHL and made an impact, you're looking at goalies. And it's because it's because teams have often found themselves in similar situations to the one that Winnipeg is in right now. So Thomas Vokun, Tim Thomas, Braden Holtby, you got trophy winners, cup winners, who have spent time in the East Coast League because their parent clubs have been busy in terms of who's got the depth chart occupied at the pro level or at the uh, NHL level and AHL level. ECHL is obviously pro. So if you look at Winnipeg this year, Connor Hellebuck is the story of the season. He started the season with Laurent Bressois, moved Delia down to the AHL. Oscar Salmanen has AHL experience. If they don't want to carry three goalies, then you need a spot for Thomas Millich, assuming that he signs and all goes well, as I think that that it will. And when, like you say, you want the Jets and Moose to have an influence over where a goalie like that plays, how often they play. You don't want a guy with his pedigree sitting behind a career minor leaguer who happens to have an affiliation with another team. And I'm not saying that would have happened again if Winnipeg re-ups with or re-upped with Newfoundland or what have you. I'm just saying that Winnipeg would be in a much better situation, I think, if it, if it had a full-time affiliate. And I think that's coming. And Thomas Millich is the perfect guy to, to use as an example of who should probably benefit from that a lot. Yeah, how, um, just while we're talking goaltending for a minute, is Delia an NHL insurance policy that likely plays at the AHL level? That's how I see it, but he's just... He, based on his track record, he seems to be at that perfect level of could fit either way. If for some reason, Winnipeg traded Connor Hellebuck without getting a goalie back and Laurent Brassois was trusted to take Winnipeg's net, 
Ilya has enough NHL experience where you could see him as a backup. That's not the strongest tandem you've ever seen. Clearly, either Brissois is playing amazing or things have not gone the way the Jets have hoped. But you can't imagine him because he has that pro experience, including NHL experience. But he's also the sort of guy that you think would get through waivers and be a, a veteran presence for an AHL team. And he's done that before, too. So in terms of like getting a goalie at the right tier to make both things possible, I think the Jets did well with him. Um, all right. Speaking of goalies, there's one that will be the center of attention when training camp comes. There's certainly one forward in Mark Shifley, who I think will be, uh, well, let's just say there'll be plenty of questions for those two. How do you, how, how do you foresee if nothing changes and we just fast forward to the beginning of training camp and everyone's here with the club, no extensions, anything like that. How do you see those first days going in particular, those two players meeting with the media. And I guess for each of them, what do you expect or what what is would be in their best interest to sort of, how do they handle this? Because I'd say this is uncharted territory for both of the players, and it's certainly uncharted territory for this team and organization to be in the spot that they're in with both guys staring unrestricted free agency in the face at the end of the year with all the trade stuff uh, that's uh, been percolating over the last few uh, few months. Yeah, I think for Shifley and Hellebuck, the play is to go to the PR handbook and just talk about, hey, you know what? The, let's let's focus on the ice. You know, we lost Wheels and Doobie, and uh, you know we we love those guys, but we've got some new guys on the roster. And uh, you know, if you look up and down this team, we've got depth at every position, and we're just here to win. And you know, you get it, right? You can hear the hockey answer that comes from that. Um, and I think that focusing and putting the focus on the season at hand, and sort of more or less dodging and deflecting questions about their future. Um, would be the easiest thing to do if they were stubborn enough and willing to do it. I also think, though, that there have been moments when players have been more candid than that. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what Connor Hellebuck is like in scrums and when those conversations get brought up at camp because he's, you know, prone to giving the occasional honesty bomb. And I, I would love to hear what's on his mind in terms of how he would approach the season and, um, you know, if he'll double down on the all I want is a cup that he left us with in the spring, because I think that every once in a while he he's just so honest about his goals that I'd be really fascinated to hear what he has to tell us. Well, I, I, listen, I mean, I'll back that up. I mean, part of the reason why I've, I mean, I've always been entertained by his answers is that he and his quirky goalie ways usually shoots pretty straight. And someone's going to ask him uh, probably on that first day. Why is it reported that, you know, you're not willing to re-sign with the Winnipeg Jets? I mean, there's been all sorts of rumors that there's been some big money thrown at him. That is not the case. And, you know, there's a lot of players that I think that could go to that PR handbook. I'm not sure Hellebuck has that club in his bag. And to me, it'll be completely interesting as to just, you know, what he says, because he is more often than not honest, sometimes to a fault. And, uh, well, to a fault. I mean, I don't fault him at all. It's great, and it's great for the media. But, I mean, he is just so important to this club. And to be honest, a lot of things that, in particular, Hellebuck could say, in a lot of ways, might amplify some of the at least perceived chaos from outside of the organization about just this situation that the team is in overall. 
with their best player potentially having one foot out the door. Yeah, if he talks in the sort of vein of like, hey, you know what, roster, all that stuff, that's beyond my control. I'm just here to play and help the team win this season. You can read a lot into that if he puts the focus on the short term. Um, And, you know, every now and again, these sorts of conversations do give us clues. Like even Kevin Chevaldeoff talking about signing Brassois to be a tandem, talking about how Hellebuck was made well aware of Brassois' signing and all that sort of stuff. To me, I think that was enough to do a little bit poking around. And I, and I think that there's maybe a sense that part of that signing, in addition to being insurance for Hellebuck, was also made to make him as comfortable as possible if they're going to try to make some short-term pitches. And it might give us some clues in terms of how those minutes get divided as well. So, you know, if I think that... I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, even if he puts the focus on the short term, I think we'll be able to take a lot away from it. I doubt he'll walk in there, guns blazing, and say, well, this is it. This is all victory lap. Let's go. See you, you know, see you goodbye at the trade deadline or something to that effect either. But uh, but we'll see. Uh, and then there's obviously, just as it pertains to the goaltending, um, the playing time. Hellebuck's always been a workhorse. And I'll put this to the chat right now for, for a why not question of the day for our friends at Not Autocorp, Waverly, Waverly and McGilvery. If this is Connor Hellebuck's final season with the Winnipeg Jets, and there's a potential that he's traded at the deadline, does it matter if he plays a ridiculous amount of games? How important is it that Loren Brassois gets regular work? Um, and Murad is, like, if you're Rick Bonus and you realize... I got one of the best goalies in the world and I'm only going to have him for a few months. Is there any incentive for them to give this guy a little bit more rest, a concept that a lot of people think might be better for the player down the road. But if there's not really much of a road beyond this season or the time that he's here, does it matter? When you rent a car, do you beat it up? Is that what you're telling me? You're just flooring it at every intersection, (laughs) driving it hard, putting some hard miles on it. Who cares? Forget about the oil. Like, (laughs) Um, I get that argument though. Like if, if you have both players and they're around for the long term, you want to keep Hellebuck rested. And when you have, you know, perhaps the best goalie right now, Andre Vasilevsky, if it's not Hellebuck or if it's not Saros or, or, or Sorokin, it's Vasilevsky. And he's talking about how all of the work he's gotten has slowed him down and has, has challenged him deep in the seasons. Well, it's happening to Connor Hellebuck too. And one of the things that the Jets have frequently done, you've heard Bonus say this, you used to hear Maurice say this, like, I ask Connor how he's feeling, and if he says he's good, then we play him. And I don't think that that's a plan. I think that if you're looking long-term, you need to think about managing his minutes. And Winnipeg has been slower than most, possibly because they just have such faith in him, but slower than most to adapt to that that workload argument. But if you know for a fact that he's, you know, those hard miles are going to catch up with him for some other organization, and he's happy playing, which clearly he is, um, you know, if Brassois gives you any reason to doubt at all, like some past Jets backups have done, then you can floor it. And I think you can play Hellebuck as much because it keeps him happy. It keeps you in the win column, probably. Um, you know, I see some I see some room for that. Uh, and, I mean, listen, when the chips are down, if this team is all about winning hockey games and doing what they can do to make the playoffs, we saw what happened at the end of last season when winning was absolutely crucial night after night after night. 37 was the first number on the game sheet for Rick Bonus every night. But I do wonder about Brassois coming back here for his second stint. And I think that, you know, especially with them sharing an agent, 
Uh, I think Lauren was quite cognizant of the fact that at some point this crease could be his. But as long as Hellebuck's still here, he will be the number one. What do you make of Brassois' situation as currently constructed? And how important is it knowing that the future may include a lot more Brassois than Hellebuck to keep him happy and to get him into games obviously depending on how he plays, but more than maybe he had been or any Hellebuck backup had been in the past. Yeah, you know what? Maybe it's because we've talked about Hellebuck so much and he's such a focus and such an important player. But I'm almost more compelled by Laurent Brassois this season because it's the ultimate show-me season if there ever was one. The guy has alternated great numbers with poor numbers over the course of his career. He's coming off of health concerns. At the same time, he's a Stanley Cup champion um, on the Vegas Golden Knights. And the last time he was in Winnipeg, his numbers were pretty good. So um, there's reasons to believe that he can do it. We have not seen him do it for the enormous amount of games that one would expect of a future starter, if that is the path for him. But he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. And he's come out and told us by way of media saying, my goal this season is to prove to the NHL that I'm a starter in this league. And that's a gauntlet to drop for a guy whose health has been an issue at times, whose consistency has been an issue at times, but his peak ability when he's on and things are going well for him is well within that starter range. Like I think that he has the ability and he's just got to prove it. And that makes him compelling. Um, Murat. So let's get to uh, the guy that'll be calling the shots and pulling the trigger on all of this. Kevin Shevel day off. And, you know, I, I it'll be really interesting to hear what Chevy has to say about this entire summer post-draft where obviously they made the Dubois deal. He spoke very excited about Colby Barlow and what they did at the draft. But I think there were some expectations probably within the organization as well that a little bit more change would have happened leading up until this point. And for whatever the reason, this team is pretty much still in a similar spot, minus the big change of Dubois turning into three players coming from the Los Angeles Kings. We obviously focus on the Shifley and Hellebuck situations right at the top of that list. But there's Nito Niederreiter, there's Dylan DeMello, there's Brendan Dillon. Um, what, do you th- what are your thoughts on the overall challenge of what Chevy has on his plate going into training camp and all the variables that will be affecting the different decisions that are made basically from game one of the season right through until the deadline in March. Yeah, it's funny. Winnipeg could flood the UFA market with its own UFAs. <laughs> like, I think I got that from a commenter at the site. Like, I, I think that's an astute observation, and it goes beyond um, – I want to say it goes beyond the marquee guys, but, you know, when he's on, you know, Niederreiter's name is a marquee guy. Like, he was a substantial ad for the Winnipeg Jets last year. I think – for me, I look at sort of the situations and the contexts that guys might be able to play in in the future if they stay. And I think Dylan DeMello, I don't, I haven't talked to Dylan DeMello about this. I have no idea what, he, what he's thinking personally, but he's come to an organization that took a couple of years, but finally seemed to realize that he could play against tough competition as a perfect complement to Josh Morrissey. And I think as long as he's around, that's a great fit for him. That's a guaranteed top four role, some key PK minutes and things like that. You know, does the rest of the league value him that same way without big offensive numbers and those sorts of things? I I think 
Winnipeg might be in a, a unique position to appreciate just how valuable he is. That's the sort of player I could imagine having value uh, in terms of a re-sign situation. Brendan Dillon, you know, from time to time, I, I hear about teams asking about him. I've, I've heard a little bit more interest in terms of, you know, just because he's big and plays this hard-nosed game at times that, you know, that he'd be an ideal playoff ad for a lot of teams. And certainly his toughness down the stretch was appreciated last year. Um, those fights against Minnesota, for example. Uh, so I wonder if he'd be a pretty big draw U- UFA-wise for certain teams that think they're on the cusp. Nino Niederreiter, I think that will probably be about money in a way. Um, and the reason I say that is because last time he hit the market was looking at extensions and things like that. Um, I'm not sure that he got the money that he was hoping for or might command after a particularly big season. So if Winnipeg has it in the budget, maybe that's an opportunity. Um, This is all me just thinking out loud. But one thing that we don't have amongst that group for me is an absolute surefire, this guy's gone. The way that I would have felt about Andrew Kopp once upon a time or Jacob Trouba or Pierre-Luc Dubois or something like that. I'm not necessarily sure that that's the case as many free agents as there are. Um, what is, is Shifley in that group? I mean, Shifley's future, I keep going back and forth on. I haven't expected him to stay. I haven't expected him to stay. I, I've expected with the cap going up that, you know, somebody's going to be able to pay him substantially for the offense that he consistently produces. And maybe it's Winnipeg at this stage. They know what their center hole looks like if he's not playing on that team. Um, but maybe it's a situation in his career where he's ready to see what else is out there as well. And the truth is, I've thought I've known before, but in this situation, I, I really do not know. It, it is. Uh, th- there's so many. Um, there's so many unknowns uh, about <laughs> about this season. As to, and like a terrible start could mean that by the middle of November, three of the five guys we've just talked about aren't members of the Winnipeg Jets. And a great start and a good sustained you know, few months that puts them into a real contending position in the central division could mean a quiet trade deadline. And then a lot of cap space available come July 1st, because there's a lot of guys off the roster. Um, There's not really anything we can compare this to in recent. Well, certainly in jets 2.0 history, which is why it's so interesting, but at the same time, unchartered and, um, I'll say what, there won't be many more interesting teams this year once we get to game number one. Hell, even in training camp, uh, 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 Murat, around the league with the other 31. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, I want you to pick this apart if it's wrong and doesn't make sense, but it just comes to mind. I think we all assumed that Arizona would have a tough time doing anything as a franchise, playing in front of such a small crowd, as lively as college students could be. Um, all that, you know, all that money that they've taken on dead money on the cap in forms of um, LTIR contracts like Brian Littles, for example, which is expires at the end of the season. And yet they've made some additions. They've made some signings. You, they've extended their coach this year. And all of a sudden you're beginning to think, well, hey, in a couple of years, they might be a reasonable team because they've been able to maybe not attract marquee players, but attract players to their to their organization. If Winnipeg loses all of those UFAs and has that opportunity cost and has a budget just at the time that the cap is going up and still wants to compete, you know, the right signings could make the team competitive. And I spend time thinking, well, okay, look at Winnipeg's history. You can, 
this is not a knock on the city. Look at the data. Winnipeg's UFA track record is not major. It absolutely isn't. I mean, you, you hear about the amount of no trade lists the city is on, but at the same time, if you can sell the right thing at the right time to the right player who needs an opportunity, maybe there is more reason to be optimistic about all that opportunity cost if it comes to it than maybe the stereotype would say. I'm not sure. Well, I'm here for that conversation because cap space, even with the cap going up, is one of the assets that can't just be manufactured. It can't be pulled out of the air. You can't um, can't draft and develop cap space. I mean, it is a real, tangible, measurable thing. And if next year the Winnipeg Jets are in a situation with plenty of openings and plenty of money, that Arizona that Arizona comparison is interesting. Like, do I think they'll be signing guys to big money long-term deals? Probably not. But if they are going through a phase, Marat, where, you know, the team could be contending, it could not be, a contract like the Matt Dumba deal, one year, whatever it was, 3.9 million bucks, guys come in realizing that there's a chance that they could be dealt, and depending on what happens then at least you're utilizing your cap space for something that's helping you on the ice while the players are there. And then you get to the trade deadline, you've got a number of options. Because it is true. I mean, the one, the most movable assets are the ones on expiring deals. And year after year after year, we always sit back on this program and our conversations going, wow, look at what that guy went for basically for six weeks of his services and however many playoff games that they play. Yeah, and we've seen that to Winnipeg's benefit in Andrew Kopp, for example, what a trade return Winnipeg got for him. You know, it, it happens. And I, I get into conversations with folks sometimes where, where the argument is weaponize cap space, use cap space as an advantage. You like, And well, what does that look like? And maybe it does look like signing a player to a short-term deal, trading that player, getting an asset back. And sure, not every draft pick hits. We know what draft pick probability curves look like. Your average second rounder isn't becoming an NHL player, but if you bank enough of them, you bank enough of those things, and you know you believe in your program as Winnipeg does, um, someone eventually will hit. And I think that there is some appeal in that. The other thing that there could be appeal in is being a, if there is that cap space at the right time and in the right moment, being a, a broker for trades as well, retaining salary for somebody else uh, at the trade deadline, maybe next season or what have you, to acquire extra picks and, and that sort of thing. I think a big part of Winnipeg's future and success as an organization has to be drafting and development, whatever you think the case is right now. I think there's an argument that since 2015, it hasn't been as elite as it was prior to that point. But it has to be a strength for the organization. And using cap space in creative ways could be a way to keep that pipeline running um, you know, with the most efficiency for an organization that needs it. Hey, Marat, one more thing I wanted to hit on with you. Um, you know, we were talking with Mike yesterday, uh, McIntyre, about Cole Perfetti. And it got me thinking about, you know, players that if they have a big season can help the team and can help themselves. We've talked you know, a lot about Neil Pionk, and I think Pionk, because of the role in his club, the amount that he plays, the level that we've seen play at times, as well as at the end of the season, if he could have a really strong season, I think that would be massive for Winnipeg and would help them in a huge way. Perfetti might be the most interesting player up front in that if he's able to fit in and produce consistently as a number two center, 
it's almost best case scenario for the Winnipeg Jets. But from a personal situation for Cole, you're going into the final year of your ELC, having had some injury levels. I mean, is there more at stake for anybody on this season individually looking ahead than Cole Perfetti? I mean, tough to imagine. Absolutely tough to imagine. You go through another half season, get hurt, show your incredible ability at certain times, but then end up with underwhelming numbers at the end of the season. And you're looking at a bridge deal for not very much money and who knows what the future holds. You've sort of missed an opportunity to make good on your pedigree, your ability, your offensive skill, your vision, all of those sorts of things. Um, There's also an argument to be made, and we've seen this to a certain degree recently with players, where if a player is produced for one season and it's been in really great numbers, yes, that's worth a big raise. If they've done it for two or more, that can be quite substantial too. Um, but if Cole Perfetti has a single phenomenal season, he's dropping like 75 to 82 games played, very healthy, and he's in the 60-plus point category, Winnipeg's extended those players long-term in the past and has looked great doing it with Shifley, with Ehlers, Kyle Connor, for example, as well. I mean, there's some arguments to be made. If he has a Troy Terry-type season, 60-plus points, um, offense in top power play usage, all that sort of stuff that he could get Troy Terry like money, which is was seven million dollars long term, and so the difference in scale between an unhealthy season where you're getting three point something for two years and a healthy one where you have the season of your life and it's a big breakout and you're looking at almost twice that depending on uh, how healthy and how productive you were. Yeah, this is going to be a major season for Cole Perfetti. Marat, um, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, you got some exciting family time coming up. Enjoy it. We'll catch up over the next couple of weeks and cannot wait to get to September and uh, see where this uh, journey takes us for the 2023-24 season for the Winnipeg Jets. You have a great one. You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Make sure you're reading and subscribing to The Athletic for all of Marat's work, and you can find him on Twitter as well, at Marat WPG. Uh, Marat. All right. Andy Max coming up in just a minute. Looking forward to getting Andy back on the program tomorrow night, though. It's game day three down style right here. Winnipeg IG field seven thirty, but the party starts at five thirty at the Prince S auto tailgate zone. Get there early. Enjoy three fifty pops and hot dogs, $5 beers, great entertainment from DJ finesse, and then get in there and get ready to get loud as the bombers look to go nine and two. Princess Auto, proud sponsor of the Blue and Gold, WST, and the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new. Is it Princess Auto? Visit them at one of two Winnipeg locations. And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Our friends at Consolidated Supply have had a banging summer busy right from the spring through until now as the leaders in irrigation systems and artificial turf, not to mention new and used golf carts is the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba. But there's so much more than just irrigation and turf and carts. They've got great options for your property, including hot tub spas and amazing outdoor kitchen options. And of course they are the leaders in small engine parts and repair. Pop by and see them at the showroom open to the public. Consolidated Supply, 1395 Niagara Road East. Or find out more on their website at cte. 
Ca. Well, big bomber game tomorrow. NFL season coming up. Jet season coming up. You need to up your fan gear game. There's only one place to go. And that, of course, is Royal Sports at 750 Pembina Highway. Royal has got it all. Tons of exclusive pieces of bomber merch that you won't be able to get anywhere else. And, of course, they've also got the best selection of NFL gear with the season just around the corner. And, of course, thousands of pieces of Winnipeg Jets merchandise as well. And with hockey season here, 40 years in the biz, family-owned with hockey players working at the store, the best place to get the hockey player in your family suited up for the upcoming season. Pop by and see them in person for yourself. Royal Sports, the true sports superstore in Winnipeg, 750 Pemina Highway. And make sure to follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And, uh, hey, we got a big uh, Blue Jays game tonight. Bombers tomorrow, full slate of CFL games. And, again, NFL just around the corner. And when you're talking about a great spot to watch the game, your local Boston pizza is the place to get together with your gang. Uh, Nowhere better to watch it and, of course, enjoy those ice-cold schooners, world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and the latest from the BP feature menu. And, hey, if you are staying in tonight or any night, you can always get the great taste of BP delivered hot and fresh to your door by ordering online at bostonpizza.com. All right, I can already taste the wings and the beers. NFL kickoff just over two weeks away. And that means it's time to bring in my guy, Andy McNamara, to talk a little fantasy, to talk a little NFL season. Andy, you're generally a pretty excitable fellow to begin with. Where is your, uh, how geeked are you right now, knowing what is to come in two weeks from right now? Well, Hustler, I got an afternoon coffee, so the the caffeine will be extra kicking in the the juices momentarily, I'm sure. I'm pumped. I can't wait, because... Now we're on, and our hey, our two our two teams are battling in preseason glory. Come Saturday afternoon, by the way, uh, the Chiefs and the Browns. <laughs> but 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 then really, it's it's we wait, watch to see what the cuts happen, who goes where, and we're on to football. Like we were that close. Um, let me just first off by talking about the team you follow most closely, the Cleveland Browns. I'm fascinated by this division. I mm. think. Like, the AFC East is wild with the Jets getting Aaron Rodgers, the Dolphins being stacked, the Bills being the Bills, and the New England Patriots, despite a rough year, I think still having a lot of talent on their team. But this AFC North, um, you know, there's a lot of people that can make a case for all four teams to win the division. I still sort of think it's a two-team race between the Bengals and Ravens, but Fill us in on the Browns' hopes right now and how you feel that they're stacking up against a very, very formidable three other divisional opponents. Well, you're right. And this division, Huss, I think is going to really cannibalize each other. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if you see the winner of this division come out at uh, 10 and 7, you know, 11 and 6, and only one team makes the playoffs. Because this AFC, this conference is stacked. We're going to see really good teams, at least one not make the playoffs. They could come out of the AFC North. So I still think if you if we we rate it, the Bengals are still the class of it, right? We have to take the the Ric Flair notion and saying of to be the man, you got to beat the man. Right now, they're the man with all that talent on offense, improved defense as well. Um, then 
I think it's wide open with the Steelers being at the bottom. Plus, I'm just not buying Kenny Pickett. I'm not. I'm not. I'm putting them in the same category as the New England Patriots, where they are always going to be a tough out. They're always going to be difficult. It's never going to be easy, but they're going to be closer to 500. And then the Browns uh, and, and Ravens, I think, are that, that next tier to see, you know, you get a bounce or two. Can you challenge the Bengals for that division? Yeah, I uh, I actually think the Ravens can. It was amazing. We were doing lock shot picks, just looking at some futures. And the Ravens' win total is 10 and a half. So the over 10 and a half, which would be an 11-win season, is like even money. It was plus 102. And I'm like, I kind of think that they can do that. But to be honest, if they win 11 games, I think they win the division. So I think you're far better off throwing a sprinkle down on Ravens plus 230 to win the division as opposed to over on that 11 number. But this Ravens team is going to be different. A healthy, signed Lamar Jackson with all of the drama that was happening in the background last year. Another weapon or two for him as well. And a defense that's always legit. And a hell of a good coach in John Harbaugh. I mean, to me, that probably is the team that is best suited to challenge Cincinnati. I guess the big question is, does the Orlando Brown signing improve that offensive line and the left tackle side enough that Joe Burrow can really do what he does best and let's distribute the football as well as just about anybody in the NFL. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's start with the Ravens here, Huss. And look, you, you're, you're right that the drama with Lamar is gone, but Oh, did they add a whole bunch of other drama with <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr. And Jadavian Clowney, two former Browns and you want drama. Oh baby. You got, let me ask you this. Uh, when Lamar Jackson doesn't get Odell Beckham Jr. the ball enough and funnels it to Mark Andrews as per usual, um, how's OBJ? Is his dad going to be back on the old computer trying to drum up some some video anti-highlights and shove it in Lamar's face? What about Jadavian Clowney, who will get injured, will get injured, and will also not sack the quarterback? How is that going to play out when he gets frustrated again? I love that they went to the Ravens because I think this team, people talk about all the weapons. Huss, I will say this and I'll continue to say it, and I've been proven right the last two years, especially when it comes to fantasy football, is that Lamar Jackson has been out of the top 12 two years in a row in part due to injury, okay? I don't think this team and this offense is going to be as good as people think it is. I'm not buying it. I'm a hater for sure, but I really don't think they're going to be as good. The talent's there. I don't think the quarterback is going to be as good a passer of the football to the, to take advantage of that. And OBJ gets hurt. It tears an ACL if you look at him too hard. So I'm not, I'm not buying it. So what about Cleveland? Um, what about Deshaun? I mean, this guy's yeah. had a black cloud over him uh, ever since he was acquired by Cleveland. It seems like most of all of that has been somewhat taken care of, and it's now time to go play football, and it's now time to win games. I mean, yeah. No one's been had more of investment, both, you know, financially, but also what the organization had to go through to navigate all of this. Is he ready to prove that he was worth it? Well, he better be because uh, Hustler, this team is all in. There is no excuses for this year for the Browns. There is no excuses. There's 700 days off. For, that's done. Trials and, and uh, uh, accusation gone. You were given this best receiving core in recent memory on a Browns team. You're stacked there. You have Nick Chubb, arguably the best running back in football. Your defense, which you, you add Jim Schwartz as DC, you add Zadarius Smith opposite Miles Garrett, who has the best compliment he's ever had, and a solid defense overall. 
you have no excuses not to win games. My concern is that in training camp and practice and the brief exhibition time, and we're going to see a little bit more of that on Saturday when they face the Chiefs, is the red zone for Deshaun Watson. Middle of the field, when there's room, he's chucking it, he's going it. But when they're getting in tight, and this goes into even the practice side too, they've been struggling and struggling to connect there. And that's where my concern comes to is when it comes to the red zone, are we going to see the Deshaun Watson from 2019 and 2020? Huss, 2020 was a long time ago. Baker, My guy Baker Mayfield what, what was set to take us to the promised land in 2020. That was a long time ago. So we're going to see. But every single thing is lined up for Deshaun Watson to be successful. Uh, speaking of Baker. <laughs> yeah. Come on, know, Baker. We were, we were talking about these two stacked divisions oh. in the AFC. <laughs> the NFC South. Um, listen, I, I think the Saints have made some moves, including getting a legitimate starting quarterback in car in there that, you know, probably make them the favorite right now. But I mean, like, I don't even know where to turn right now. You got Baker and a team with a six and a half win total. You've got Carolina, which, you know, made this big deal and did what they could to get the number one overall pick and take Bryce Young with, I mean, an offensive line that might have a tough time in a U sports game. And, um, I mean, they just are not uh, like, I don't know if you've seen much of the Panthers in the playoffs, but or the, in the preseason, but some guy's going to get killed. Reminds yeah. me of David Carr's brother, Derek Carr, or De- Derek's brother, David uh, Carr, at David, the beginning yeah. of the Houston, uh, Houston, where he was getting f- sacked five and six times. And then you got the Atlanta Falcons, who had all those other needs, and they go running back and take Bijan Robinson, who's certainly a fantasy darling heading in. Um, do you see any of those three teams not named New Orleans being legit this year? Or is this going to be the weakest division in the NFC and probably a nine and eight or 10 and seven record should uh, take care of business easily? How many years ago was it where we had the NFC East where it was like eight and eight or whatever, right? Like two, three years, I'm, I'm losing track. But that's that's what this division is lining up to be. The Saints are by default, the favorite if you put them in many other divisions that's a 500 at best team I, I i love Derek Carr. i do think he's underrated uh overall but the guys in, and not all all his fault certainly but he hasn't won anything his one good year was 2017 when he uh, broke his leg bitter raider the bitter raider right <laughs> and he busted his leg in 2017 so now we look at at the rest of the division and you know i love me my baker as much as the next fella but um can he do anything? He certainly has some weapons on offense. You know, we're, we're not can't overlook Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, right? You have a you have a not nothing fantasy related, but you have a a nice backfield complement. You know, you can roll out some guys. Can he do anything with it? He had that one fantastic comeback game in uh, uh, L.A. with the Rams, but since he left Cleveland, a whole lot of nothing. The Falcons are the one team where I'm really like intrigued because. If you look on paper on that offense, you have a lot of exciting pieces. What do you do with Desmond Ritter? And I'll say this, real life-wise, I don't know. I I liked him coming out of the draft intelligence-wise, size-wise. He had, I think there's a lot to this kid if he got the right development. Now, he might not be in the right situation. But he's got the legs, too, to go. I want at the end of my fantasy draft, in one QB leagues, I always like taking a backup quarterback and a backup tight end, cover off bye weeks, give me a little flexibility. I want Desmond Ritter just to hold on to, just to hold on and to see. Because if you have Kyle Pitts, you got Robinson, 
you got London, you got you got different pieces around. How does that work? We don't know. I think Desmond Ritter could surprise some people in the fantasy world. Speaking of fantasy, Andy, let's get to it. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk again before the season starts, specifically all about fantasy. But we just mentioned B. John Robinson. Uh, you got Jameer Gibbs, another first-round running back that seemingly has the inside track on a lot of touches in Detroit. Uh, Jackson Smith-Nigba, who I believe just fractured his wrist. Not yeah. too sure what the extent of that. Do we know how long he's going to be out? I've heard he could be back for the start of the season, but wait, wait and see. It, it doesn't sound like it's going to be something that should go, but us, we know if, if you're a rookie and you miss any sort of time, that can set you back, and especially on a team where you have DK Metcalf and Ty Lockett ahead of you. Well, yeah, I mean, he kind of seemed like he was going to be the slot guy who had been great for a PPR, but who are the rookies that excite you the most and um, how aggressive – who are the guys that are worth being aggressive at in redraft leagues just, just for their performance this mm. season in their rookie year? I think yeah, Bijan Robinson jumps out, obviously. Um, and I, I know a lot of people thinking, well, you know, it's, it's Atlanta, whatever. Running back's the one position where you can slot a guy in, and as long as that you have a competent play caller, the guy can make hay real quick. So that's my top, that's my top guy. That's really, I think, probably the only one that I'm, if I'm looking at it really jumps out as like a, okay, that's a, a possible first round pick. Like that's like, all right, the, uh, the last quarter of that first round who I want. Then we start getting into the, the wide receivers. And if we're talking redraft, okay. Um, Smith and Jigba PPR. I'm with you. Um, I think that's a later pick. Like a lot of these guys you look at and it's like, okay, Bryce young quarterback. Here's what I think. Bryce young is going to be, the best out of the rookie quarterbacks out of the first maybe month of the year, if that, but then he'll either get squashed because he's five foot, nothing teams will figure him out. Cause we know like he's going to have to be moving around all the time, looking for lanes, looking for slots to throw over. We're going to see a lot of batted balls. So if you're looking at like a rookie to take maybe a little bit later, get a Bryce young, maybe as a bit of a trade bait. And then like week three, you're like, Hey, Start dangling him out there in your fantasy. Like get rid of him and try to sell high at that point. C.J. Stroud, I love with the, the leg possibility, but Houston still really sucks. They're really bad. So I don't know how much you want him. Anthony Richardson with the Colts. This is going to be a fun player. I'm glad I'm not a Colts fan because that team is going to absolutely be terrible. It's going to be just a gong show. You can't draft. Really, you can't draft anybody else on the Colts um, if it's not Anthony Richardson because we don't know what's happening with Jonathan Taylor. And Richardson's going to probably throw a bunch of picks, but he's going to run a lot too. So a lot of these guys are ones where, these rookies, where you're like, okay, I might want them on my team, maybe into a flex, maybe onto a bench to watch. But outside of Bijan Robinson and, and Jamar Gibbs, I should say too, um, there's not too much that really jumps out to me as like, wow, I got to go get that guy. Well, and, and another conversation as it pertains to the league and to fantasy football is what's happening in some of these um, situations with their RB1s. You mentioned Jonathan Taylor. That could not have, it couldn't sound any more contentious. And it's just brutal for this to be happening as they try to bring Anthony Richardson in. I mean, what could help a rookie quarterback more than one of the best running backs in the league? Yeah. Um, but that's a standoff. Josh Jacobs in a similar situation. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that I think just based on straight up projections, mm -hmm. if, ever, if all things being equal, are first rounders. Now you got to think long and hard about 
you know, those guys' particular situations right now as to whether they'll be playing early on and what this means for a season without a real training camp. Oh, for sure. And that's why I always recommend to people, have your fantasy drafts as late as possible. At, at the very least, after the final preseason game to avoid injuries. But for a case like this, like, you don't know what's going to happen to Jonathan Taylor. Huss, if we had a, a fantasy draft today, I'm not drafting Jonathan Taylor. Because I don't know where he's going to be. Is he going to end up, get traded somewhere or whatever, and end up in a situation like a Dalvin Cook, who last year was going in the first round? Things happen real quick for running backs. Or Zeke Elliott, where it wasn't that long ago, he was a top guy. Does he go somewhere where he's in a committee and I spent a, a first-round pick on him? I can't rely on that. Josh Jacobs, it sounds like he is going to be back at camp for the season, but he hasn't practiced a whole lot. And um, is the coaching staff there going to be going to be bitter, going to try holding it against him? I don't think they'll have that choice. I think you, you have to use him and, and run him a lot. But you have those negative situations that can carry forward. So you're right. Those are two guys who you're looking to first two round picks that you can't rely on. Who do you move up with that, right? Do you take a Nick Chubb a little higher? Do you, do you look at a Saquon Barkley a little bit more, right? And and then, of course, the tight end situation is always contentious everywhere. Um, Andy, you know, uh, every year when it comes to drafts, we see just different trends. For a while, I mean, your first round in standard leagues was – if you're at 10 teams, it might be 10 running backs coming off the board. Yep. We have seen receivers, especially with more and more leagues going PPR. So obviously that affects it big time. Um, you know, kind of dominating the top of draft boards. And then, you know, the odd unicorn like a CMC, Christian McCaffrey, that catches a lot of balls and is one of the top running backs. But I know you've done lots of mocks and drafts already. Are there any trends that are sort of um, becoming obvious this year, maybe in contrast to some previous NFL seasons? Yeah, has the biggest trend, and I- I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it because you're right, we're, we're so conditioned to running back first overall. Running back first, two to three, four overall. Not this year. Not this year at all. It is wide receiver to a man across most fantasy drafts, check whatever website, mocks, whatever you do, it is wide receiver, and the man's name that keeps coming up is Justin Jefferson. And I know no receiver I don't think is repeated as a top wide receiver in fantasy since Antonio Brown and 26, whatever the year was. But Justin Jefferson is so damn good, you can't deny him. It's really between the top three in general in some order are Jefferson, CMC, and Jamar Chase. I would probably go in that order myself, Jefferson, McCaffrey, and, and chase after that with Austin Eckler, a close four. Um, but really, like, it's a case where, all right, am I am I concerned about Kirk Cousins at quarterback? Hustler, if I, in real life, yeah, Kirk Cousins sucks in big games. In fantasy, he can get Justin Jefferson the ball and he's going to force feed. It's the Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams workload. You know it was going to Adams and you know it's going to Jefferson. And guess what? He's catching the ball anyway and he's going to keep getting the ball. So now you have, they drafted... The rookie was Addison there, too. So maybe takes a little bit of, of pressure, a little bit of a distraction. TJ Hawkinson, I like, too, for a tight end. Probably my number two tight end this year in fantasy. But it's got to be Justin Jefferson, number one. It really does. And then, like I said, CMC, uh, uh, Chase Eckler. And right after that, your guy, Travis Kelsey. Because, man, that tight end that tight end situation, it is Kelsey. And it is a free fall after that. Yeah, the, the scarcity of elite 
producing tight ends like a Kelsey. I mean, there's one. And every year, you know, we thought Kittle might be there. We thought Darren Waller might be there. No, nobody's there. It's him. And that's why he's probably a mid-range first-round pick because the delta that you get as opposed to everybody else is so big. You mentioned some of the top receivers. Devontae Adams is no doubt one of the best receivers in football. Um, But once again, you know, he's on the Raiders. They've lost Carr. They're going with Jimmy G, um, who's been hurt. How much does Adam Stock take a hit because of the situation around him in Vegas? It, it just has to. And not Devontae Adams' fault. You know, this is a... I'm curious to how they line up Devontae Adams, how they use him with Jimmy. Um, we know Jimmy G went healthy. His win percentage is off the charts. The guy wins, but he's a dink and dunker. What he is, right? Dinks and dunks. So I think that's good news for Josh Jacobs, probably a Hunter Renfro. You're going to try, obviously, to get the ball to Devontae Adams, but we have to discount him in fantasy to, I would say, if you're looking at it, um, he's not a first-round pick, which is strange to say. Um, to me, I'm looking at Devontae Adams probably mid-second round, you know, that that type of thing. And even then, I'd feel a little uncomfortable going that high with him just because of the quarterback situation and that inevitably when Garoppolo gets hurt, because he always gets hurt, you have Brian Hoyer behind him, who's smart. I think he's going to be a good coach one day, but he's he's a dink and dunker too. So if, how can you rely on taking a guy that high based on pass performance? You just, you just can't. So I think the biggest beneficiaries of that is going to be Josh Jacobs, uh, Hunter Renfro, Right there. I'm staying clear of Austin Hooper. The guy's a catch-and-fall-down guy at this point. Uh, Andy, what do you have cooking for the uh, for the season coming up? Uh, are you going to be doing your Browns pod? Uh, will we be having weekly fantasy extravaganzas yes. on the, the Andy Mack channel? Fill us in on what you've got cooking. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, so the Sick Podcast with Andy McNamara. You get it on YouTube, on Twitter, at SickPodBrowns, me at AndyMC81, and Instagram and TikTok at AndyMC Sports. So, We're going to be having two shows a week. Every Sunday, we're going to start first week of the NFL season. Every Sunday, live, 10 a.m. Eastern for Fantasy Football Preview. We're going through every game, every play. You know, we're we're going to be getting that breaking news as we go. And if you're a Browns fan, of course, we'll we'll be talking a little Browns too. But it's going to be heavy fantasy football and some betting talk too, getting ready for the Sunday. And then a reaction show uh, probably on eh, Monday or Tuesday off of the, the Browns game. And we'll be doing some waiver wire Wednesday looks coming up to uh, to that point as well. So lots of fantasy, but the big show is going to be every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern live, and you can jump in and, and talk to us live. Great. Well, it's always fun to have you on the program, and I'll be leaning on you on the reg as we uh, now get full bore into fantasy and NFL season. Yeah. I cannot wait. I got my first draft on Sunday, and then Ooh. the next couple of weeks. Who are you weeks, taking first? Pretty did, much did you know on. your draft order? Um, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have any high, there's a couple redraft, um, leagues that we do the draft order just like an hour before, um, it randomly selects it. So you just sort of, sort of figure it out. Um, I, I am in a dynasty league and I'd acquired three first round picks and was able to, uh, you know, there's a thing where you can keep a guy, but you have to take him in the round that he was picked the year before. Right. I was able to get McCaffrey in a trade for a later round pick. And I had traded for the last pick of the first round. So I'm using that pick to keep McCaffrey. So I'll have two nice. first round picks and McCaffrey. So I'll be in a good situation in that. Start. I, I'm I'm really intrigued with 
some of like I love leagues where you know you're picking some of the rookies or you have a rookie from a year before you sign them and then you know you've got them for a couple of years to see where everything shakes out and some work out great and some don't work out very well at all and th- like this- Trey Lance who by the way is th- not at 49ers practice today has third on the depth he lost to Sam biggest bust of the of this decade like good lord well and it's so funny I mean when you think about what the Niners gave up to move up to take Trey Lance. What a disaster. And then the fact that they got Purdy with the Mr. Irrelevant pick, the last pick in the seventh round. Yeah. And then in the middle of that was Sam Darnold, who went, what was it, third overall? Third to the Jets in 2018. Yeah, yeah. after uh, Barkley the went, to the, went to the Giants. So, hey, no shortage of, uh, no of storylines heading into uh, all of our drafts in week one as well. You have a good one. I'll uh, lean on you. Maybe we can do this again next week. There's a lot sure. of things to cover before the start of the season. Absolutely, buddy. Talk to you soon. Right on. Follow him on Twitter, at AndyMC81. There's our pal, Andy McNamara. All right. Um, shout out to our friends at Little Brown Jug. I believe they still have some stock for that incredible deal they launched last week for the 2-4 with the dozen generic lagers and the dozen 1919s comes out to 2.44 a beer. Find out more online at littlebrownjug.ca. But speaking of Little Brown Jug, what you really need to know and get on if you haven't already is tickets for Winnipeg Sports Talk Sports Trivia Night number three, Wednesday, September 13th conveniently scheduled on a night with no NFL action. We'll get going on at seven o'clock tickets right now. If you're with us on YouTube, click on the description. You'll see the link right there. If you're listening to the podcast, go to winnipegsportstalk.com. There's a link right at the top Um, from the sounds of it. And we just announced this last week, kind of quietly on the show um, tickets are going very, very well for this event, and I think it is likely that we'll probably be at capacity. So don't miss out. Make sure you get them, and uh, should be great. You know, grab a few friends. Usually the teams are between three and five people. We'll have the questions for you. We'll drink some great beers, and weather permitting, we'll be outside on that beautiful little brown jug patio that hosted sports trivia night number one. All there in the description at winnipegsportstalk.com. We will see you September 13th at Little Brown Jug. And, of course, in the meantime, check out everything they've got going on at Little Brown Jug, William Avenue, and uh, support our local brewers right now, especially with the uh, liquor stores on strike as they have been. Uh, A huge thanks to our friends over at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. Had just an unbelievable weekend there a couple weeks ago and already looking forward to 2024 you're looking for an incredible corporate event outing friends and family fly in fishing experience where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of winnipeg akins lake is the spot find out more about the akins experience at akinslake.com or hit up pit Turan on twitter at akins lake tour championship gets going tomorrow staggered start scotty scheffler at minus 10 Vic Hovland at minus eight, Rory McElroy at minus seven, and the rest of the top 30 playing for a first prize of $18 million. Second prize, 6.5, basically $8 million plus the $10 million bonus for winning the FedEx Cup. Should be fun for one final tournament, and then it's Ryder Cup time next month. Of course, our focus on golf will be on Southwood tomorrow. 
as the uh, Manitoba Open gets going, including Breezy Benz, Braxton Kunz, the defending back-to-back Manitoba amateur champion. Um, so we wish Braxton good luck. Of course, Breezy has an incredible junior program. Cranking out players like Braxton, if you need more information or would like to get on the waiting list for the 2024 season, I would not wait on that. Talk to our pal Corey Johnson at the golf course or find out more online at breezybend.ca. Now, we will get to our Assiniboia Downs picks in a minute, but don't forget, it's the final week of regular season action at the ballpark with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Uh, Fish lost a tough one last night, 6-5 to Sioux Falls. They're back at it tonight and tomorrow against the Canaries. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, including Fan Appreciation Night on Friday with fireworks, against the division-leading Kansas City Monarchs. Check out all the promos and everything going on for the final week of Gold Eyes season at goldeyes.com, and maybe we'll see you at the ballpark tonight. All right, let's get Michael Remus in here. And, uh, oh, Remo, this conversation with Andy just get me so get me so fired up. I cannot wait to get drafting next week and, uh, and start making picks and survivor pools and... DraftKings lineups and everything that comes along with the NFL season. Yeah, getting starting to get hyped here uh, for week one. I actually haven't done a season-long league in a couple of years, and that was to Taylor Allen trying to start up a Winnipeg Media League. We'll be drafting in, so I know you said you'd go in. I saw Taylor from the Free Press, uh, Jeff Hamilton. I don't, I don't know who I forget who else was on. I seem to be the only person who signed up. To the website link he emailed out, but uh, I'm oh, looking forward. Oh, which uh, which website? Which uh, are we where are we hosting it at? It's, this one is on Yahoo. Yahoo, okay. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of chatter in in uh, um in the chat about someone said David Zerk said playing dynasty leagues is the only way to play fantasy football, and I came out and said I am an anti. I'm not a keeper league guy. I'll never never do one. Never do one again unless I had a, a serious combing of the rules. Um, I just think, like, what do What's you? What's your beef? I think I don't think people stay committed. Like you're asking people to be committed forever, and I think the rules I've been in. There's always like too many keepers, and people get disinterested, and then what? Someone leaves, and they can't leave. Then you got to replace them. It's too much of a commitment. Not not interested. Yeah, put it this way: you you need to have the right people. I mean, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like randomly starting a dynasty league with a bunch of people to get them in for one year, yeah, it's not going to work. But um, if you've got a good group of people, you know, that they're hardcore fans, that they're really into it, I mean, it's it's an awesome way to play because it adds a whole nother level. If, if, you do, if you're not having a good season and you want to make some trades that can help you next year, you can do that. Um, but again, you do make a good point that if you don't have reliable owners, you have some guys that are, you know, Johnny come latelys, if you will, um, and the commissioner can have some real problems on their hands. So, um, I do like keeper, uh, keeper leagues, even if you're just keeping one or two players. Well, th- that's what I would do. Keep the, see, people want to do these keeper leagues. And they want to keep the whole team. That's not fun. Like just have like one no. or two, two guys. Well, the best part of the, the entire league is the draft. Like, the draft is so much fun. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I was in one league row. We're going to keep seven guys. Well, half the entire league is off the board by the time the first pick is made in the draft. So I'm with you on that. Although, that being said, there's many different ways to play fantasy this year. And uh, 
good luck to everyone on it. And as I said, we'll do a few more segments with some experts to get you ready for drafts, as well as just some general fun NFL tomfoolery on the program. And of course, in the lock shop as well. Um, and Craig Smith making a great point is why we were talking about the big event here in Winnipeg. Uh, the Canadian Women's Open starts tomorrow with Shaughnessy in Vancouver. Brooke Henderson rocking the specs. Wearing glasses now. Um, look, Brooke's done great in Canada before. She is uh, Canada's queen of the course. And wouldn't that be amazing if she could have a great weekend and uh, be in the mix on Sunday afternoon? All right. Let's get to uh, the cool bet lines before we get ready for a night of live racing. And uh, tonight we do have the Jays and the Orioles just after 6 p.m. They're going at it. Jack Flaherty for the O's and Kevin Gosman for the Blue Jays. Jays minus 133 favorites. Orioles a home dog at plus 118. And then we've got the Washington Nationals. Plus 127. Last night, what was it? Plus 155 against the New York Yankees. Yankees have lost nine in a row, and yet they're still favored. I say we just keep on rolling with the underdogs and hope the Yankees can make history with a 10th consecutive loss tonight. You were telling me before, Rio, 1913 was the last time the Yanks had lost 10 in a row. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was like 100 years, uh, 110 years. And when I did the math, uh, crazy. And the Yankees, yeah, not going so hot for them. So uh, I think we're all enjoying all enjoying it. And it is interesting that they are still favored despite being on this big losing streak. Maybe the, Nash, the Nationals are the play. Um, so those are the big games for uh, Jays fans tonight. Uh, I guess right now, what the, we've actually got a bunch of games going on right now, including a few that have some importance to this race. Own oh, the White Sox are up 3-0 on the Mariners. That's good news for the Blue Jays. Uh, if the uh, Mariners lose and the Jays win, they can get back into a spot uh, for it. Who else do we have? We've got Houston. They are in action tonight, or are they, Remo? I don't see, the, uh, I don't see the, them on the docket right now. The Astros, unless they're playing right now, that I, I missed it. Um, so maybe a day off for the Astros and the Tampa Bay Rays, the other team ahead of them. They've got the Rockies tonight uh, a little bit later on. That one's starting at 5.40 p.m. Um, but again, everyone on the wild card, let's take a little bit of a run at this uh, first place. A nice run against the Orioles would do that for the Jays after their great start last night. As far as the CFL goes and the Bomber game tomorrow, yesterday was eight and a half. Today it's, uh, sorry, yesterday was eight. Today it's eight and a half for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Toronto minus 10 at home against Calgary on Friday night. BC minus 10 at home against Hamilton on Saturday. And pretty darn close to a pick em. Oh, my prediction that the Elks would become favorites by game time has come right. Correct, Reem. Wow, that was quick. Ottawa was a one-point favorite yesterday and the day before. Now it's Edmonton minus one. And Edmonton, who was an even-money home underdog, is now minus 120. I do think, and listen, we've said this before. It's gone on for four years. I do think this is the game for the Edmonton Elks to break the curse. Yeah, I mean, they're favored at home, which seems wild. And Trey Ford has injected you know, some excitement into this offense. 
And Ottawa certainly lost you know, their share of games this year. This is a good opportunity for the Elks. We'll have to see, will they screw it up and land on their face, or will they come up with the W and end the streak, and will we see, like, confetti after it has ending the streak? Will there be a Gatorade bath on Chris Jones? We will find it. Will they carry him off the field like uh, the uh, Bombers did Reinbold after they uh, won after starting off 0-10? <laughs> uh, let's get let, let's get to uh, let's get to our uh, horse picks for tonight. Yeah, horse. We picks. have uh, we've got a full slate of races, eight of them in total. Uh, shout out to Pray for Peace. Did you have Pray for? Did were you both on Pray for Peace no, yesterday? No, I actually wasn't. I said I liked Pray for Peace, but I I was not. I didn't win. I only got a refund because one of my horses got scratched on a tractor box. But there was okay. There was one race. I forget which race it was yesterday, where if you bet $1 and hit the trifecta, you would have won, like, $2,000. Hold on. Let me find it. Really? It was my, like, eyes fell out of my head there. It wasn't race five. Here it is. Race seven. Hey, hey, runaway one, and was final odds 81 to one. Hey, hey, runaway. Whoa. $164 on a $2 bet. What? Yes, to, to win. And then Living Sky, which was 9 to 1. And know what I mean on uh, number 3. So if you would have bet $1 on 975, 2700. How crazy is that? So 20, that's the biggest $1 tractor I've seen all year. And the 20 cent Superfecta? Which is the top four horses in order? Yeah, ten, ten, a twenty cent bet, ten grand, ten thousand one hundred. The pick three was seven hundred and eighty nine bucks. Just a one dollar exacta ream for that race yeah. was six hundred and seven bucks. Oh my god! I, I, that has to be. I, I would imagine we'll have to check with Darren and the fellas, but that has to be the biggest upset of the year. Race year, maybe seven ever. last night. Come Bradley on, 81? <laughs> I've never seen it. Started 50 to 1. Is that the opening line? We, uh, <laughs> that was the opening line, and then it finished up at 81. Not a lot of people on the long shot. Hey, hey, night. and I've seen Hey, Hey run away at the track before. <laughs> um, what do you, uh, what do we got cooking tonight for okay. our selections? I've been really cold. So I'm trying to get some. Trifecta tractor boxes here. Do you got race one? No. I do have race one. Win number three. Wit nine. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about Wit's memories, but Wit nine's the horse, so uh, I'm in on Wit nine to win race number one. Uh, um, I don't have race number two. Do you? I do. I got a trifecta box. Uh, one, three, four, Lana, this is the chalk one, Lana Ranger, Love Hours, and Asta La Vista, honey. Let's go over the chalk box here. Asta La Vista. All right, moving on to race number three. I have a win bet on number three, Otter Pop. And Otter Pop has won its last two races, so uh, let's make it three in a row. Good things happen in threes. Otter Pop. Uh, you got anything on race three? No. I'm uh, Race four, though. Excellent. What do you got? Exacta Box, 
Party at my place and Silicon Valley. Uh, and I, for race number four, just have a uh, win bet on the aforementioned party at my place. Yeah. Let's I, go. There, there you go. Uh, oh, I do have a race five. Me too. I got a triactor box for race five. Okay. I'm going with going success to win. That's the favorite. I like it. Uh, going success is on my triactor uh, box. Going success, Amistar, and big, big energy. Big, yeah, big, big energy is always, always a favorite. And um, I do have race seven. So are you on six? Uh, you know what? I'm on race six. And I'm going to take, you know what, I think I may have to turn this one into, into, well, I like Terra Tattoo. I don't mind High Rise in the Peg as well. I think this is a lower category of it. Maybe I'll go with a uh, Terra Tattoo. What have we got? Runaway Hurricane's got some numbers. Well, as I say, I, I might add one before, but I, I'm thinking high rise in the peg, number four for that final one. I got a couple bucks left, so I got to figure out what to do. What do you got for, uh, what is it, race seven you're on? Race seven. I got um, Tri-Actor Box, 269, House Limit, Toil and Trouble, and trying to <laughs> trying to get, get smart here with Smart Call, 15 to 1. That's my long shot in this. Box. I had Smart Call or a, a one on a five and a half furlong race a couple weeks ago. Yes, yes, that was on August first. That was and on this August race 1st. is a bit longer, a six, but six, but not too bad. Most of its races though was always around one mile, so maybe it's suited to these shorter ones. Uh, there are picks smart. you can make. You can make your own as well if you'd like over at the uh, HPIBet.com and. Um, do that, and you can watch the races on the Assiniboia Downs YouTube channel if you can't make it out to the track. 6.45 is when you need to tune in to get all of the picks from Kirk and Stretch, who are the race experts, as opposed to us, who are more dart throwers. Um, good stuff today. Uh, tomorrow, uh, just give us some clarity. People were wondering what's up with Ken. We thought Ken okay. was coming today, but Ken is in the Tamarack right now, so uh, lots of Tea times, practice times. He's got he's got a lot going on out west. So I texted Ken like noon, just be like, "Hey, just confirming, uh, confirming you're good for one fifty. And he said, "Shoot, I'm actually playing today, not tomorrow." After messaging him on Monday, being like, "What day works for you?" And he said, "Wednesday works." He's like, "I'm playing today." I blanked out. Can someone swap? Really sorry. And Shout I called Marat. Marat. And I called Marat. We had a great conversation. And Marat said today actually worked better for him. And Ken says, last year off day was Wednesday. Thanks a bunch. And I said, do you want to go tomorrow? Hopefully Ken doesn't mind me reading our conversation. Oh, that's fine. And he said, I'll let you know when the match is over, when my next game is. It's win or go home. So he says tomorrow should be good, but we may have to record depending on how his matches okay. is there live scoring on the tamarack they have live uh, updates <laughs> you know what there should be there should be but i don't believe there is all right one more thing to get to before we finish 
and we were talking about fantasy football. And this is one more why not question of the day for not Autocorp over Waverly and McGilvery. Yes or no to kickers in fantasy. I see Randy D is an all caps, no kickers, please, guy. Mm-hmm. I will admit, I hear this complaint quite often, Remo. I love kickers. I love having them on the team. I couldn't imagine a fantasy team without a kicker. Are people doing no kickers, no defense? I'm more a no. Like, I play a lot of DraftKings mostly, so I would prefer if they took out defense. And that, I haven't played in a league in a while. Um, I guess, like, kickers is, is luck and predictable. I would be okay if there weren't, there weren't kickers and there were more skill positions. I would be okay with that. I just, I love the kicker. I mean, I like having a kicker. I like kind of seeing, you know, being pumped when they fail on third down and have to call them out. And I don't know, to me, it's just an integral part of fantasy. Yeah. Kickers are okay. Kickers and defenses, please. I'm with UT well. I th- yeah, like I think people want to move away from like less like less luck based stuff. I think with like kickers, although I think it's more a good of a kicker. Def- Get a good kicker on a team that has terrible red zone uh, uh Yeah, conversion. I guess so. <laughs> There's lots to it. Well, uh, we can... I don't I'm not sure. I don't well, know. I don't know be, where I stand. I haven't played season long in years, so I I never really. Sure. I would be okay with no defense. <laughs> Kickers add some volatility. Lol, it's it's definitely true. I love being up and benching a kicker or a defense to flex to avoid negative points. <laughs> well, that's the one thing you do want to have a, a, a point system that makes sense, so that maybe you're not losing. Yeah, but, I, um, I'm. I'll say this: I'm anti leagues where you can start nobody at a position. And it's not an illegal lineup. You should have a penalty. Yes. 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 You have to start someone. Um, um, yeah. I mean, teams just don't go in and don't play a quarterback in the NFL so he doesn't get any picks. <laughs> you know what I mean? The in, the WST inbox is open for fantasy topics, though. We'll get to for the rest of the week. Remo's going to be away next week, but uh, we'll definitely have plenty to get ready for your drafts and the upcoming season throughout next week. Tomorrow, though, game day. We'll be all over it. Alouettes, Bombers, Mocon in Montreal is going to join us. We'll get the latest on the visitors. And big announcement today, CEBL Championship Tournament next year will be in Montreal. And uh, obviously, Winnipeg's made that pitch to get it for 2025. Thank you to Murata Tesh. Thank you to Marshall Ferguson. Thank you to Andy Mack. Thanks to Michael Remus. Thanks to our sponsors. And thanks to all of you for making WST a part of your day. Have a great night. Enjoy the ball game tonight if you watch it. Horse racing. Gold eyes available to get out. And then tomorrow, we'll see you at IG Field. But first, 1 o'clock right here on WST. Have a good one, y'all. Oh, my God. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.